Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Brothers and sisters of the leaf, coming to you live once again from the corner of no hope. It's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight, the boys begin their eighth annual, or maybe it's their seventh annual. Who fucking knows anymore? Anywho, it's the first entry in their always highly anticipated drunken march to Halloween. And they're going to kick things off by discussing the magnificent 2017 horror film, The Ice Cream Truck while smoking the super classy numero uno Lombasador cigar from Hoya de Nicaragua and drinking a spooktastically amount of tasty craft beers. I mean, these dudes' livers certainly have to be terrified at the very least, am I right? Sounds like we're in store for one hell of a good time, folks. So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. Evening, folks. It's time for another gathering of America's finest podcast, the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Never in the red, white, and blue history of podcasts has there ever been a show that delivers more laughs, more knowledge, and more pure entertainment than when these four patriots fire up their stogies and tell it like it is. No holds barred. Zero freedom loving shits given. These boys know their stuff, so prepare yourself for a case tractor-style hayride of hilarity as these iTunes heroes deliver the goods straight to your flag-hugging ear holes. God bless the USA and God bless the TNCC. It's what our nation needs now more than ever. Amen. Oh, and don't forget to tune into my new series, Monarch, premiering September 11th at 7 o'clock Central Time, 8 o'clock Eastern, only on Fox. How cool was that? Thanks, as always, uh, Mr. Trace Atkins, for starting the party off right. Yeah. Uh, uh, You just can't do that. How many times have we got to say the people the people can see you? Oh, on the YouTubes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, real quick, speaking of Monarch, 
they advertised the shit out of that show all last football season on Fox. The Trace Atkins, uh, what's the chick uh, with the big big knockers? Uh, Susan Sarandon. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's like they're music. He's a music star, but they they've got all sorts of drama. Anyway, they showed the shit out of that, and now, but it never aired, and now they're doing it again, and it's bugging the hell out of me. I could have swore it had a different name other than Monarch. And so I started Googling like crazy and I cannot find, I know it was called something else and there's no trace online, nothing. So it never aired at all? No, uh, because of COVID, I guess they had to yeah, shut down production. Um, but it's driving me nuts. I, I know it was called something else. And like the dig, the, the more I dig deep into this, like, I don't know. I just thought maybe you guys might remember because they showed like a thousand commercials last football season for this show. And I know, I know it wasn't called Monarch. Also, my phone rings. You're in too deep, son. Back off. Just walk away. Walk away. <laughs> Click. Uh, we love country Western music star Trace Atkins here. And, uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And uh, speaking of celebrities, uh, boys, since we got together last, uh, years truly, Big Chungus, stumbled across something on the interwebs that got me all worked up. And if you would care to indulge me, I'd like to share it with you. Uh, not that you have much choice. Big Chungus? Uh, what, what's up with that? Oh, were you not involved? I think I told the other boys. Uh, my, my oldest daughter uh, is taken to call me Big Chungus. And I thought, I originally thought it was a term of endearment. And so I was like going around like, yeah, big chungus. Uh, uh, then I actually looked, she, she mentioned something about big chungus that didn't sound so flattering. And so I, Hey, once again, the Googles, I, uh, I Googled it and it turns out that it's this, it's this meme that kids her age share big chungus. I think it was from the forties. It was a bugs bunny cartoon where bugs ate like a thousand pounds of carrots like he got let loose with just this insane amount of carrots and he blew up to this huge gigantic rabbit with like carrot juice all over his face and just a big mess. And everyone, in the cartoon on the Looney Tunes started calling him big chungus instead of bugs bunny. He was briefly renamed big chungus until he lost the weight. So it's not as nearly a cool, a, a nickname. Now, uh, I thought it was the name of the villain from the road warrior. I am the Lord Big Chungus. <laughs> Close. I, I believe that was uh, Lord Chungus. Lord Big Chungus. Uh, or Lord Humongous. I've heard it both ways. Okay. Um, anyway, don't you guys call me Big Chungus. Uh, oh, I like it. Our, I'm trying to shake it. I'm trying to shake it. Uh, yeah, Big C. Well, here's, well here's, <laughs> here's what I was getting to. I was watching something. I was flipping channels, and I came across an old episode of CSI Miami. And I know it was canceled like 10 years ago or they are just, it was highly successful. It was just gone on the air for like 10 years. Yeah. But I was like, man, I was like, whatever happened to David Caruso? I was like, I I haven't seen that guy in forever. Yeah. He was like hot for a while. Uh, I mean, mean, hot as in, in talked about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, so anyway, I Googled David Caruso uh, 2022 because I, I, IMDb didn't have anything. I was like, you know, what, what happened to the guy? 
And the first article that pops up has this headline. I think you'll get pretty quickly why I thought I should share with you boys. David Caruso, colon, TV cop eating himself to an early grave. Redhead packs oh. on redhead packs on 30 pounds and balloons to 233. First of all, I don't know how they got a specific weight here, but let, indulge me. Uh, former CSI Miami hunk David Caruso has literally gone to pot, belly and all, by gaining at least 30 unsightly and unhealthy pounds that a top medical expert says could shorten his lifespan by up to seven years. Every sentence has an exclamation point after it, by the way. (laughs) The 61-year-old carrot top vanished from the public's eye after striking it big as Lieutenant Horatio Kane on the South Florida version of CSI. But he hasn't had a TV or film gig since the drama ended its 10-year run in 2012, exclamation point. A recent photo of the once whippet lean six-footer uncovered by the National Enquirer shows he's turned into a flabby fat slob. (laughs) Oh, it gets worse. New York diet and health expert Dr. Stuart Fisher says David has piled on at least 30 pounds, bringing his weight to 233, and has stopped taking care of himself to the point that, quote, he looks like a derelict. The author of the Park Avenue (laughs) diet book Hasn't treated the actor, but he says his paunch, quote, looks like he swallowed a bowling ball, end quote, and warns if he keeps us up, he'll be one of the residents of the CSI morgue. The The doc says abnormal girth can be used to determine lifespans, and Caruso's indicates he has shortened his lifespan by up to seven years. He's the victim of pure sloth. His muscle has turned to flab, which is very hard to reverse. He's definitely putting his health at risk, the doctor says. One positive fat item for David is his bank account. After getting his big break playing Detective John Kelly on NYPD Blue alongside Dennis Franz and Kim Delaney, he went on to earn a whopping $375,000 per episode on CSI Miami, ballooning his worth to $35 million. The three times divorced star, they had to throw that in there. Uh, <laughs> Also has three kids, 33-year-old daughter Greta with his second with his second wife, Total Recall Beauty, Rachel Tocotton, whom he divorced in 87, and son Marquez and daughter Paloma with former gal pal Lisa Marquez. Everything's a, a little slight. Now his health is as messy as his private life, they say. All right. In conclusion, according to Dr. Fisher... The overweight, the overweight actor has a higher risk of diabetes, heart disease, and high blood pressure and cholesterol. It's time for him to grasp reality, says the doc, and save his life. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe what I was reading. That's harsh. It's, it's the harshest article I've ever read about anybody. And, and it was way too harsh because I saw the pictures, and it makes it sound like he's Orson Welles. And... I mean, he doesn't look good. He looks dumpy. 
but he, but he looks he looks like a retired sixty something year old dude. He looks like a sixty something year old guy who used to have to work out for work and now he doesn't have to anymore, so he let himself go a bit. That that makes it sound like he looks like Orson Welles. He looks completely like a normal a normal guy you'd run into at the store. Like he it, it it's complete. But get this, a little dumpy. I share I showed I shared the article with the doctor, but then when I decided I want to talk to you guys about it, I went to try to find it. So we could discuss it. And this, instead of finding it, this tiny blurb from two years earlier popped up on Google. Here's that headline. Caruso's Miami crime scene, colon, CSI star David Caruso's got real guts about showing his gut. Different article. This one's real short. It was just a picture of him, like at a pool. The first one was he was at an airport getting out of a taxi. That's where they attacked him. You know, he's kind of lugging his luggage and, you know, just... Uh, this one says, David, leading man from the hit television show CSI Miami, was spotted in his signature sunglasses while lugging a few extra pounds around a Miami beach on St. Patrick's Day. The rotund redhead also looked sunburned while lounging around and seeking protection from the harsh rays of the sun under a beach umbrella. What did he do to the National Enquirer to get this target on his big ass back? I do appreciate Rotund Redhead. Oh my God! Seriously, National Enquirer, you're the you're the off you're awful to say the least. Horrible man. I guess, that, but then I was like, well, I guess at least they're like straightforward with their insults. The DailyMail.com, which I read too, they they they're just as mean, but they always like try to slide in some like really slight, like meaningless niceties to kind of balance it out, like. The former TV heartthrob looks like he might now have a heart condition as he stands warily at the baggage carousel, most likely thinking about buying a candy bar while holding a stylish leather satchel. See, they'll say something nice about like his bag he's carrying. Or uh, NYPD blue, more like NYPD chew. As the red-haired fatso wearing some sporty yet inexpensive sweatpants grabs a magazine at the airport terminal... <laughs> Probably assuming incorrectly it was some sort of menu. I mean, you're horrible. You're horrible. Horrible. But damn, that was funny. Hey, at least you compliment the sweatpants. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you know what? National Enquirer, you, you're, you are the worst of the worst. Uh, TNCC is anti- National Enquirer. And I, I certainly hope they don't come for Big Chungus. Am I, though? Am I? I mean, NYPD2 is fucking no, funny. I, I made those up. Oh, you made those up. Those last you two- need to be a writer for the Enquirer. Oh, you think they'd hire me? TNCC is pro-Enquirer if they would hire you. <laughs> this guy's got moxie over here. In his red Texas State t-shirt, looking more like Santa Claus than a man with a cause. Touch. Oh, sorry. I was just working on some submissions. Easy. Easy. Going after the rotund redhead is one thing. (laughs) What did I call uh, a red-haired fatso? Uh, Speaking of. Oh, and you know what? David Crusoe was really good. I know. I'm going to get to you, pal. David Crusoe was really good. I never watched any of those shows he was in, but he was really, really good in Kiss of Death. Oh, yeah. Yes. And I enjoyed him 
uh, in as was he Snickers in Hudson Honk? Yes. He didn't speak, but he did a lot of physical comedy in that. I thought he was really good. Little cards, they were hilarious. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I'm okay with David Caruso, and I'm okay with him retiring and, you know, having a having a couple euros uh, and a beer for lunch if he wants to. It is easy, it is easy to work that into his CSI Miami character, though. <laughs> with Horatio, Horatio something wasn't that yeah. uh, Horatio Kane. You know, he always puts sunglasses on, so you can let me you can work that in. Frank, we've got a murder on our hands. And I've got cake frosting all over mine. <laughs> oh my god. Uh uh, doctor, what was that one he did about the? You, you told me about one he did on the show about a fish. Well, of course they always find the dead body, and it's always Rex Lynn, the the guy with the mustache from a bunch oh. of movies. Frank, she caught a fish, and then something caught her. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God bless you, David Caruso. And I didn't know he was married to the the cute chick from Total Recall, Arnold's main suite. Yeah. Um, that was trivia I, I wasn't aware of. Uh, well, look, it took me I, think, a while. I was like, wait, he was married to Sharon Stone? No, the other one, the, the good one. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, welcome, everybody. That's enough about David Caruso. Uh, welcome everybody to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club episode tut, 156. 156, I believe. It is, boys, officially our March, our 2022 March to Halloween begins tonight. Tonight. Going. This is always uh, my favorite string of shows during the year. Put a lot of thought into curating uh, our March to Halloween. Uh, since last Halloween, I've been watching dozens, if not over a hundred horror movies, trying to to pick the cream of the crop. Not necessarily the best, but ones I know will uh, either have a lot of fun with, or uh, maybe nobody's heard of, and we'll introduce them to it. Either way, it's 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 not easy picking these few two or three movies to do on our March to Halloween, and uh, I, I think we're going to start off on a good note here tonight. Uh, but Movies are only one third of what we do here. Yak Boy, what, what other two things do we talk about? Well, on occasion, we like to talk about delicious premium cigars, just like the one you're holding. Oh, yes. This is as premium as it gets. What else do we do? And we like to enjoy possibly delicious craft beverages. Um, that's right and we somehow thematically pair them all in a way that makes sense hopefully uh that's kind of the whole unique little twist that we do here at the tuesday night cigar club the corner of no hope um so yeah why don't i go ahead and introduce tonight's cigar tonight's cigar is the numero uno el ambassador 
by the almighty Hoya de Nicaragua. That's not actually the company's name. They don't call themselves the almighty Hoya de <laughs> Nicaragua. Uh, I, I do. There it does. It says right there on the little label. I do. Uh, Yaks, you and I have walked through those hallowed halls. I think you would refer to it as the almighty Hoya de Nicaragua as well. They it, were fine halls. It is the holy grail of Nicaraguan cigar factories, uh, the oldest. And it's certainly, along with Drew Estate, pumping out my favorite uh, six uh, just consistently. The numero uno, how do you, how do you pronounce it? It's L hyphen ambassador. Is it just L ambassador? Or is that L pronounced like a L? No, I think ambassador? Just... No, but how's the L part say? I think L? you just did. L? L? I'm just going to call it the ambassador. How's that? That's good too. Uh, it's a limited release from our friends at Hoya de Nicaragua. Uh, this line was originally produced many, many years ago for the Nicaraguan government as a cigar to hand out to visiting diplomats from other countries. Uh, seeing as how we're sort of diplomats. Eh? We, um, are. we are. We're Drew definitely di- diplomats. We're Drew diplomats at the very least. Uh, it only makes sense that we'd uh, select these beauties for review. Yaks, yeah, we may not be diplomats, but we're VIPs. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, This show is our numero uno entry into this year's March to Halloween. That translated, Doctor, that means number one. Yes. Uh, So it only made sense to pick the numero uno cigar to kick things off. It's a perfect pairing. Oh, boy. Um, And, yes, I just want to get this out there. There is currently an ice cream flavored cigar in the market. We're doing an ice cream uh movie tonight and there is an ice cream flavored cigar on the market that would have thematically made a lot of sense for tonight's show but i already wrote about it on our website tut had one and didn't care much for it so we're moving on with our lives uh head over to tuesdaynightcigarclub.com and read my review of the rocky road cigar from y'all some crawl if you're so inclined it's a pretty sweet review if i must say so (laughs) to cone a phrase uh, yeah. uh, 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 sorry. Never wanted to miss a scoop, are you? I uh, I'm probably going to be sprinkling some jokes throughout the show tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, uh, no but I'm just going to pistachio my way out of here. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, it's got a very nice cedary. Uh, aroma off a, off, it, it's almost a golden, a golden brown wrapper. Like that is as golden as a Connecticut wrapper. It's weird because I'm smelling, I'm not getting the cedar. I'm smelling like a, uh, like a, a hay, a barnyard hay. Oh, there's hay not, there too. But not like, like alfalfa, but it's definitely like barnyard hay. And there's almost like a little bit of chocolate just off of the smell. But that could be coming from my beer. Um, yeah, no, I'm getting a lot more hay and, uh, as, as we call it, rodeo stuff, minus the manure off the off the foot. But I'm getting, uh, yeah, some nice cedar and, like you said, a little bit of hay on the – but, man, it's just a gorgeous golden wrapper. It's got a nice twisted cap uh, up at the top. And I don't know if we're going to be able just to tear that off and smoke it or we might have to give it a little cut to – yeah, I kind of I kind of tore it off, and I was too aggressive with it, and I, I, I nicked the wrapper. Uh, I just tore it off gently and 
I'm going to give it a shot. I, w- I was very careful about it. T- you Texas State boys are all busy with your hands. You just can't, yeah. control, can't control yourself. Not 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 uh not tender, gentle with it at all. Well, folks uh, that aren't watching um, and listening to us instead, Tut is sporting a very crisp, brand new, straight from the campus bookstore, Texas State University ah. T-shirt. Uh, dude, this is your first week of school. Yep, that is right. Dun, 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 dun. We're the Bobcats. We're the Bobcats. We're the Texas State Bobcats. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Learn the school fight song and everything. It sounded a lot like the UT fight song. You just substituted Bobcats for Longhorns. Yeah, yeah. It's the Texas State Bobcat fight song. Uh, no, they've taken, they, they've taken everything else. So, okay, so their, their, their hand signal is like this. So it's like they couldn't make up whether they wanted to take those SFA Lumberjack hand signal or the Baylor Bears hand signal. And then I saw a video today where they're up in the stands doing the varsity sawed-off thing. Uh, from Texas A&M, and I was like, "What the hell's going well, on?" I guess when you call people? yourself, I guess when you call yourself Texas State, you can just incorporate everything, everything from the Texas State, Texas State schools. Uh, that sounds about right. Frank ain't just a river in San Marcos. Bam. <laughs> Uh, as, I, as I lovingly heard uh, Mincy refer to it in a joke, uh, it's the Princeton on the Pecos. Princeton on the Pecos. And I had to ask what that meant because I, yeah, cause I'm used to hearing, I call it the Pecos River, but they call it the Pecos River. They're, they're correct, unfortunately. And you it's must not called, the song's not called, and the guy's not called Pecos Bill. It's Pecos Bill. Pecos Bill was quite a cowboy down in Texas. Well, it's not P E C A S. That'd be Pecos. It's Picos. No. That's how the Indians said it. No, they didn't. <laughs> they did not. Oh, were you there? Were you there when they were talking about it? No, I've just heard uh, the word referred to as Pecos for my entire life. Well. He talked about referring to things his entire life, Frank. And then all of a sudden, he didn't have a life. Yeah! Sad thing is, we're going to have a great episode, and the dudes from The Who are going to like file a copyright thing, and we can't use any of it. That's all right. We don't make any money on YouTube. It's all just for fun. If the who sues us, that means they don't like fun. Think about that, who. That's when they send you a video where they thought they were getting down, but (laughs) now their video's down. (laughs) All right. Okay. Can't stop it. Okay. Uh, well, boys, uh, the cold draw actually does have a little bit of that chocolate you were alluding to, Tut. Uh, there's a little bit. It's a very light milk chocolate on the draw. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it's is. got. Did you get that too, Yaks? I did. And then there's a little bit of hay coming through on there too. A little bit of. Man, I can't wait to light it up. Uh, well, while we get into the cigars. 
the third, the second thing we need to talk about is our beers that we're going to be drinking tonight. And Yak Boy, as our resident beer expert and proprietor of O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown historic Temple, Texas, you as always are going to educate us and our viewers and listeners on what we're drinking tonight. In the old days, we'd all drink the same thing here in the corner of No Hope. Uh, this is one of the few advantages of doing it uh, this way, virtually. We all pick a different beer. And at the end, we kind of figure out some beers work better with a cigar than others. So it, uh, I kind of like that aspect to it. So um, without further ado, Yak Boy, I never start with you. What are you drinking? I am drinking the Milkshake IPA from Symbol Brewing. You son of a <laughs> bitch. This why we should probably like work out a thing because I went up there like after I got cigars from you and I'm like, this is going to be it. This is what I'm going to get. Milkshake <laughs> IPA. We're doing a movie about ice cream truck. There's got to be some, some something here about it. Well, Nobody folks, else will ever pick this beer out. It's, it's just uh, a plain white can with a symbol on it. Yes. Oh. It's a symbol for Mars, I believe. Actually, it's a symbol for the Milky Way. Oh yeah, so, I knew like it was, a little spirally. I thought it was like a ninja star at first. And I knew it was that's something. That's why I was like, drawn to. But. Well, then we can kill two birds with one stone here. Uh, both Yagboy and I expertly paired tonight's uh, movie and cigar or with the Milkshake IPA. Tell us all about it, Yagboy. Uh, milkshake IPA, like I said, uh, Symbol Brewing. Uh, they're out of. Whoa! Uh, Have you smelled this thing? Yes. Yes. Let's. <laughs> oh. <laughs> It smells like no, bath- it's so good. Have some more. It smells like bathtub farts. <laughs> smells like Bigfoot stick. <laughs> smells no, like dude. a viper with Indian food in it. It legit <laughs> smells like 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 bro- steam broccoli. It, uh, just oh. give it a chance. Give okay. it a chance. Just one <laughs> chance. Uh, go on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Symbol Brewing, uh, they're out of uh, Dallas, Texas. Of course, I have actually had another of their beers on the podcast back uh, episode 132. Uh, we're doing the other food-related movie, the uh, Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. I did their Diesel Stout. Oh, okay. And it was a chocolate raspberry cheesecake stout, which was incredibly sweet and tasted like chocolate raspberry cheesecake. But this actually, thank God, tastes a lot better than it smells. Uh, I mean, it's basically a hazy IPA, but with, uh, of course, you know, they, they added a uh, lactose to the brew. So, I mean, it's. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, it had a ton of Simcoe, Mosaic, Citra, Idaho Jam, lots, tons of hops, um, some tropical citrus fruits. But then I saw where they, they introduced uh, milk sugar to it, which I know yeah. I've, I've certainly had a lot in stouts over the years. And, man, it, if anything, it sounded like there's so many ice cream beers out there now that the doctor and I were talking before the show, you know, strawberry sorbet stouts and, like, crazy stuff that it always ends up tasting god-awful. Uh, but I thought maybe with that many pretty bold hops, if it's just some milk sugar, maybe it'll be okay. And it it actually is. It's not... It's not aggressive at all. No, I mean, it, it, surprisingly, uh, it's a 6.8% uh, ABV, and it says it has 
48 IBUs, which I can believe this is so. Yeah, that uh, that sugar, light. that milk I mean, sugar really kills the the bitterness quite a bit. Are you getting a ton of uh, man? It's like an, on the on the back end. There's it's almost like papaya, maybe or maybe an orange. Well, they said tropicals, but they didn't specify like what specifically. It's papaya so. yaks. It's papaya. What about mango? Guava. It's, it's papaya yaks, and uh, and, a, and a little bit of cutie oranges. Those little oranges. I don't think they're called cuties. I'm pretty sure that's an orange. <laughs> they make that up too. There's no such thing as cutie oranges. That's the name. It's like a brand name. It's not really an. Or- that's what they call the orange. No, it's I like think that's. Little- I think that's the size. It's like a robusto or toro. Oh, they, they. It's a size of orange. I don't. I don't think so. It sounds like Cade's milkshake IPA. Didn't bring all the boys to the yard. Oh shit. Oh my god. All right. Um I won't do it again. You won't I won't get fooled again. Oh, see what I did there? Uh, that's clever. Uh, okay. Um I, I don't see this. It might bring out some sweetness in the cigar, but I certainly don't. Uh, it's it's pretty harmless. I don't I don't see it, and it certainly tastes nothing like a milkshake. No, I think they were as they always say whenever they you know say something like that, it's going to be like super creamy or, and I'm like that. I don't typically look to beer, not like IPAs for creaminess. I thought you were going to say you know when they say stuff like that, they're they're just full of shit. <laughs> well. <laughs> We actually we actually went to a brewery. I think it was in Kentucky. Remember, we, I think it was about an hour away from our hotel, and we drove all the way out there. It was the place that had some live bands and, and uh-huh. a bunch of picnic tables. We wa- I think we were watching some of the World Series there, and they had like two or three milkshake IPAs that were really really good. And I haven't had a good one since. And they were actually kind of. Man, they were way creamier and interesting than this one, but uh, the name of the brewery escapes me. Uh, yeah, this is good. It's not bad. Just don't smell it. <laughs> don't smell it. Tastes better than it smells. Reminds me of that chick I dated from Texas State. <laughs> the first time I've ever heard a smell described as smells like bathtub farts. Spend a lot of time farting in the bathtub. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Uh, what the hell's what the hell's the uh, the doctor drinking over there in uh, North Texas? The good doctor from Tups Brewing out of McKinney, McKinney, Texas, the backyard Bach. Ooh, I saw Old that Tups. today. Yeah, we've uh, featured, of course, Tups many times. Of course, one of the best ones I that I had. Uh, this was uh, the full-grown woodsman. Yeah, I like that. Yes, it is indeed a full-grown stout. Put hair on your chest, make you grow a beard. But the backyard Bach, I mean, uh, I've had it before myself. It's actually a really good Bach. Nothing, I, nothing that I would say like was out of the ordinary for that style of beer. Uh, it comes in at 5.1%. Didn't have any IB, couldn't find anything on the IBUs, but of course, it being a Bach, I don't think it'd be overly hoppy. 
but it's been, a it's been a while since I've had a Bach of any kind. So I think I was a little uh, surprised. I've had multiple Tups beers, right? I mean, they make they make the Dankster, don't they? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I've had multiple Tups beers. They're all good. I, I, it's just it's been a while since I've ever had a Bach. So uh, very much there's a very nutty crushed almonds kind of taste to it. And the first pull on it, I took, I was like, yeah. But uh, it, it's it's grown on me. That's things will do when you get into their second can. Obviously, <laughs> grown on you like a fungus. Uh, obviously, the tie-in uh, since the tonight's film takes place in suburbia, uh, and many things happen in backyards. And in fact, I, I, there's a, I guess a, a key scene. Well, I don't know anymore. I guess we'll get to that. There's a scene that takes place in a backyard, whether it's key to anything or not. I guess we'll get into that discussion as we go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, the doctor had backyards on his mind uh, going into his beer selection. And, uh, man, I, I can't remember the last time I had a Bach beer, to be honest with you. Me neither. And I think that's why it was kind of uh, it was the palate was not quite accustomed to it uh, today. But uh, variety is a spice of life or so they tell me. Okay. Um, I also like the from. Is it doesn't Tups yet? Boy, do the uh, Juice Box IPA. Yes. Man, that's a good one too. Uh, that was one of my. The DDH one. Uh, yeah, I like Tups. Where is McKinney, Texas? Uh, Dallas. Yeah, just north of Dallas. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. You're not since you're north of Dallas, also, dog. You're not just saying you like it, so those Tups guys don't come and beat you up. No, I was thinking maybe I should pay a visit over there. Oh, okay. All right. That's a full-grown woodsman shows up at the doc's house. <laughs> well, then he's going to get this tut. So, the woodsman showed up. Look like it's time for me to chop down some trees. Bam, 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 and out. All right, we got. (laughs) Okay, uh, well, doctor, let us know uh, how that uh, if it continues to grow on you, like a bad case of athlete's foot uh, throughout the night, and then I guess uh, Yak Boy that only leaves uh, Mister Mister Tuttle with uh, what's he drinking tonight? Show note. Show note. Hmm? Sorry, Yaks. Um, I totally meant to grab the beer that I sent you, but tonight I grabbed a totally wrong one. It's still Elysian, though, but I did not grab that one. And these notes are worthless. They are, and I'm sorry for wasting your time. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. I am drinking. It looks like somebody's preparation is that of a Texas State boob cat. Uh, man, I don't think this has ever happened where where somebody made you do all that that hard hitting research for nothing. Sorry, X. Jeez. So wait, you, so, had it, uh, you had it in your hand at the store and you didn't buy it? No, uh, I grabbed a variety twenty four pack uh, that has three of each in it. And... <laughs> so you had the other eighteen. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I, I, I grabbed the wrong beer for tonight. I was I was doing something else, but it's fine. It still fits in the it still fits in the show. It's good. And well, what it you doesn't got? really it doesn't really fit in the show, but it fits for the season. It is the Elysian Dark of the Moon Pumpkin Stout because we are marching to Halloween. All the Halloween beers are out. The Oktoberfest beers out. Uh, next show, I know. I think I'll be doing the uh, the Shiner Oktoberfest beer for the fourth time. Are you, uh, are you but, sure? Are you sure that's what you'll be bringing next show? No, maybe unless I start drinking it before the show, which is likely to happen. The Dark Othi Moon Pumpkin Stout is spookily smooth and chocolatey with a touch of cinnamon, and that is true. And it's 7.5 ABV. Hey, you know, we got a, we got a little uh, punk high school kid who's spookily smooth in this film tonight. So I'll give you a little pairing uh, connection there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How, so uh, what what style? I'm sorry. It is no, a, pumpkin a pumpkin stout. stout? A pumpkin stout. Okay. The pumpkin, pumpkin or yam beer. The, the pumpkin is really uh, dialed down. I think the cinnamon actually overtakes it. Uh, the stout is really good. Uh, the chocolate is just there in the right amount. It's not overly powerful. Uh, I've been so far, I'm really liking it, and I've liked it from the get-go. It's a little contrasting with the cigar. I think it overpowers it a little bit, so I have to kind of separate it because this cigar is really throwing some good stuff out there, and yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to inf- uh, influence it too much. Okay. Yeah, I'm guessing if you start to taste notes of pumpkin in your cigar, it might be the beer's influence. Well, the, uh, the cinnamon, I think, might be because I'm start. I'm, I kind of get this berry hint on the retro hell that's really beautiful, and I'm hoping that it's from the cigar and not just you know. Did you say? Did you say berry? Yeah, but I can't. I can't figure out what kind of berry it is. It's like a dark berry, but it's like right on the edge of that retro hell. And then Black I'm getting berry. a blackberries. You know, it could be. I think it's a little bit more blueberries, dude. But no, definitely not blueberries. Raspberry. I think it might be a blackberry. But blackberries weighs more subtle than a blueberry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's, it's not that kind of sweetness, but. I just love that berry. It's kind of like a little berry hint in that retro. And then uh, on the on the palate, I'm getting a huge cedar aftertaste on the palate. Uh, so it's that's, that's I'm actually pleasant. So I'm digging that. I'm actually getting some. Uh, it started off very very crisp white pepper through the nose. Uh, that's died down now, uh, almost an inch in, uh, and it's allowing. There is kind of a, a sweet weird i can't quite pin it yet as blackberry but there's something else yeah. going on there on the nose but then i'm with you on the draw it's pure cedar and then i'm getting a nice floral back into it kind of an undercurrent of of floralness man it's a it's a really nice delicate cigar if that makes sense i uh, i would say delicate is a good adjective uh elegant is another good uh, uh well it's elegant looking damn that now i'm I want to agree with your blackberry, but I think you're, it's, I'm just, I think you're, you think I might have influenced it. I'm just influencing what you said, but yeah, there, there's a nice pepper with an interesting note on the nose, but then, yeah, it's a very uh, mild to medium cedar with a, a really beautiful floral undercurrent to it on the thing. Is that copacetic with what you're getting yet, boy? Yeah. When I, you know, on that cold draw, like we said, there was that sweetness almost 
you know, chocolatey after, after the, you know, that initial has died down from lighting up. I'm kind of like, y'all, it's like, there's a sweetness. I, I, I can't tell you what it is at this point. I mean, cause my beer, maybe it's, it's killed the chocolatey, but there is definitely something sweet. It's not, it's not a sugar gram. It's not a fruit. I'm trying to figure it out. It, I, I would say like, you know, when I was just, you know, the, the smell on the, on the wrapper almost made me, you know, we mentioned like hay or anything like that. It, it, that smell on the wrapper made me think of like that sweet smell you get when after like, you, like a uh, cut grass or something. So that could easily in place of uh, the, the dry hay, could, yeah, cut grass. Sure. Um, I'm getting a very strong note of milkshake IPA off of the cigar, <laughs> but I think that might be my beers. And it, it could be possible. It's very creamy, like the lactose in your beer. Exactly. Well, hey, speaking of cigars, you know who makes some damn fine ones, Tut? Our friends at Drew Estate. You are correct, sir. Right down the road from Hoya de Nicaragua. And the official distributor in North America of Hoya de Nicaragua and I believe elsewhere. Well, Drew Estate has a new stick out right now that y'all will definitely want to get your hands on. Introduced during Freestyle Live Special Edition, 20 Acre Farm by Drew Estate is a complex and medium-bodied cigar with super oaky and cedary notes, accompanied by a whisper of white pepper. Hey, that's what this cigar had, a whisper of white pepper. Whisper of white pepper. Yeah. And bright hints of citrus, which is what my beer has. Man, maybe we should have done the 20 Acre Farm tonight. Uh, 20 Acre Farm is built using a velvety, Ecuadorian Connecticut shade-grown wrapper, a sun-grown Habano binder, and a filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa blended with the opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf, which is humbly and lovingly grown one harvest at a time by Jeff Borshowitz on a pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central Florida town of Claremont. Lovingly is an understatement. They actually, every night, put each individual tobacco leaf on a little bed with a little pillow and read it a bedtime story. They are the only tobacco farm that does that. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool when we went out there and there was just like an old cow folk sitting out there, just singing the tobacco to sleep. It was very, very beautiful. It was soothing, wasn't it? It was very soothing. Yeah, it really was. Uh, And then came the bathtub farts. (laughs) Uh, No. um, Close your eyes, little (laughs) tobacco. Um, so yeah, uh, if that sounds good to you and why shouldn't it go, uh, go grab me one of those. All right. Well, we've introduced the beers. We've introduced this fine, uh, what do we call it? Delicate. And you called it what tut? Uh, I say even elegant, elegant cigar. What, what else are you going to hand international diplomats? You got to give them something else. I know, right. And it's, it's us approved. So it's definitely worthy of diplomats. And it's smoking like a chant. Look at that burn line. Construction is phenomenal. I did have to give it a little bit of a clip uh, after tearing off the the twisted cap. Um, you know what? I just picked up. Hold on. Man, coinciding at the exact same time through the retro hail and through the draw, some of that Trademark Nicaraguan mineral is starting to arise underneath the cedar and the floral and the blackberry. We're going to stick with that. 
just another another little note there to add to the experience. Okay, I'll come back to the cigar. But now I'm going to introduce the first film of our March to Halloween. Really, really curious to uh, talk about this with you boys and get your take on it. It is 2017's The Ice Cream Truck. Uh, written and directed by Megan Friels Johnston. This is her second feature film following the 2014 horror thriller Rebound, which I also watched and mostly enjoyed uh, for its highly unusual, unique spin on the woman in peril subgenre. Um, she grew a lot as a, as a storyteller and as a filmmaker in the three years leading up to tonight's movie. Also, as a little bit of trivia that I'm sure the doctor will appreciate, maybe nobody else, she is the granddaughter, tonight's writer-director, of legendary novelist Elmore Leonard. Oh, did not yeah. know that. Yeah, how about that? Um, I selected the ice cream truck as the numero uno film entry in our legendary March to Halloween this year because I really dug it when I first viewed it a few months ago. And it's one of those rare films these days where I found myself immediately wanting to watch it again. So to me, that was a green flag that we should probably dissect it on the show. And here we are. See how that works? I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to watch it again and talk to you guys about it. Um, yeah. You guys ready to start? Yeah. I'm just so yes. damn happy. It's our it's our countdown to Halloween. I'm so damn happy we're we're pulling the stuff like this out. Let's go. Actually, the Nicaraguan minerals coming through more on the draw through the nose underneath that still there, but much less potent white pepper. And that the blackberry just kind of diminishing for me, that sweetness, whatever it is. I'm getting some of that graphite kind of pencil shavings sensation through the nose now. Yeah. Uh, and man, I'm only this far in. So uh, I like the development of the numero uno. Okay. Well, we start things off with a slow pan down from the cloudy skies above. Uh, birds are chirping. We pan down to an idyllic uh, suburban street that instantly reminded me of the neighborhood streets of Haddonfield from John Carpenter's Halloween. And once the camera is settled, we get our title card in hot pink font, the ice cream truck. The synth score certainly continues the Carpenter vibe as we're shown static shots of everyday quiet, single-story homes while the credits play out. I actually found the soundtrack was very uh, reminiscent. It reminded me a lot of Carpenter and Alan Howard's Halloween 2 score, uh, which is high praise coming from me. It's, it's a great score, but a lot of similarities between this and the Halloween 2 score. Uh, I really appreciated Michael Botang. I hope I'm saying that right. His score here early on and throughout the film as it incorporates some high-pitched notes reminiscent of the ice cream truck music, uh, weaving them in seamlessly and subtly with the rest of what he has going on, whether it's, you know, tension in a tense scene or whatever, he finds a way to kind of keep that ice cream music. You don't even realize it, but if you pay attention, he really keeps that motif kind of going throughout. And while we're talking sound, the sound design in this thing is off the charts. So much thought was put into the sound design as much as the soundtrack uh kudos from a production standpoint because they definitely for me at least it added a great deal to my enjoyment of the film tut you agree 
Okay, so uh, let's uh, let's attack the the soundtrack first. Agree with every, I agree with everything that you said there. Uh, it was very Carpenter esque. Uh, I, I really appreciated it. Uh, one thing that I that I do like about this film is, or at least the the sound the sound design of it, is that they not only incorporate that little ice cream truck deal in there, um, but they also there's an homage to a lot of different horror themes that are going on that are like just right there on the edge of it. Like there's some scenes to where it's almost uh, Freddy Krueger esque with the with the kid chants going on. There's some scenes where it's a little bit of uh, uh, Children of the Cornish with the da 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 da, but it's it's it, it never hits those themes perfectly in note. It's always slightly variated. And then there was a um, uh, I can't remember the actual composer. It's a classical piece, but it was used in Cape Fear. The bum 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 bum. He uh, he uses that theme a lot coming in into these things, but it's done in a way that's very Carpenter esque, and I really really appreciated it. Um, the only thing that I would say is that on the ice cream truck theme itself, I wish they would have just actually just the old rinky dink ding 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 ding. I just I like. Oh, ding 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 ding. It was it was it was so close to that though. I mean, to me, to me, when I heard the ice cream truck itself, the the coming out of the speaker, it sounded like ice cream truck music. I I and I honestly didn't pick up any like choral or like vocalizations in the thing. It's not it's not necessarily vocalizations, but it's like just the Oz on a synth keyboard, and it's. It's really okay. well done in, in there. Uh, and the in key- terms of the in terms of the cinematography, I liked a lot of it. Uh, yeah, you can't help but but see the uh, Carpenter influences on those steels, and I like the way that she held on to them for like two beats too long, and it made me uncomfortable. I was just like, it it feels like you're hanging on this too long. But to me, that developed tension to where by the time we got into the first character, I'm ar- I'm already tense. It does work because you, when they hold on to those extra beats, you're inclined to think something's about to happen, and it never does. And you're right; it it just it just grows on you. Uh, I'll talk a little more about the cinematography later, which I, I was a big fan of too. That ba 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 thing you were doing from Cape Fear it sounds a lot like the opening uh, theme to The Shining. Yeah. Uh, it, yes, it's the same. It's it's the same. 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 Uh, but it's but it's actual classical piece that that okay. they used in that. Okay, I always thought that was Wendy. Uh, uh, whatever name. Anyway, all right. Well, moving on. Let's get into the nuts and bolts of this little beauty. Uh, from one of the homes with a sold sign in the front yard emerges Mary, a cute thirty-something brunette who looks a little hungover when the sunlight hits her face. She sees a creepy ice cream man handing out treats to some youngsters from an antique ice cream truck. He stares at her for a moment and then he waves to Mary, but before she can respond, she's soaked with a garden hose by her new neighbor, Jessica's little boy. Having never met the women introduce themselves. And Mary explains that she moved in a couple days ago, but her husband and kids are staying back in Seattle for another week so they can finish up school. This gets the first of many very poorly hidden judgy looks from the always smiling chipper, Jessica Uh, under friendly questioning. Mary reveals that she's a freelance writer 
and they've moved back to her hometown because her husband's tech company opened up an office downtown and she thought the kids might benefit from growing up in the suburbs like she did. Um, after a brief moment in the bathroom, she goes back inside where Mary kind of looks introspectively at her face in the mirror, examining all her features, her hair, and kind of giving it a sigh. Her husband calls on the phone and tells her, or she tells him about their nosy fucking neighbor, Jessica. Uh, real says it real kind of bratty. And she tells him about the creepy ice cream man. He puts her two kids, teenage Jacob and little girl Shelby on the speakerphone, and everything seems normal. Uh, when her husband asks how her writing's going, she sighs yet again, explaining that she's had some great starts, but then things fizzle out. Suddenly there's a knock on the door and it's a tall, greasy looking fellow with a handlebar mustache who says he's there to deliver her furniture. It's a very awkward, uncomfortable interaction with the man barely speaking. And when she says she's ready for him, he leers at her from over the top of his aviator sunglasses. So she says, is it just you or yeah, it's just me. He says before lighting a cigarette and walking back to the moving truck. This actor playing the mover is named Jeff Daniel Phillips, and he's perfectly cast here. Uh, Two side notes on him. One, he's playing Herman Munster in Rob Zombie's new Netflix reimagining of the Munsters. (laughs) Okay. Which I won't hold against him, which, but I'm sure I will later. (laughs) And two, Doctor, we'll get ready. How, we'll see how it turns out. I'm still processing everything that you just said. Oh, did you not know about the Monsters remake by Rob Zombie, Doctor? No, I did not. Hang on. Uh... <laughs> there goes another beloved childhood memory. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't. I didn't uh, continue, Kate. I'm sorry. Continue. God, you know, I I never really imagined a version of the Monsters where. They say cunt so much, but here it is. <laughs> uh, two, doctor, doctor, get ready. Jeff Daniel Phillips starred as photo assistant in a 2010 episode of CSI Miami. So maybe he and maybe he and Fatso David Caruso got lunch together at some point. Well, Frank. <laughs> it looks like one hour photo. I have a payoff. Yeah. God. Sorry, I, I really should have done better than that. I'm still processing that Rob Zombie is yeah, I'm I understand. Sorry. I, I understand. Should, That's a shock. I shouldn't have caught shock. you off. I shouldn't have caught you off guard with that. That's on me. I'm sorry. And who, who does it's the damn near assault? Herman Munster. Yeah, he plays the lead, Herman Munster, and and I think you can guess who plays. Uh, what's the wife's name on the Munsters? Uh, Elvira. William Forsythe is going to be in this thing somewhere. I thought he died. That's not going to stop Rob Zombie. Who's Ted Cruz, the uncle? 
Herman Munster's wife, the main chick, is of course played by Rob Zombie's wife. Of course, of course. Of course. Uh, there was actually uh, when he was on the set of CSI Miami back in 2010, uh, the National Enquirer did a little article about it. David Caruso went from solving crimes to squeezing limes over his sizzling fajita plate at Chili's Bar and Grill, <laughs> accompanied by his one-time co-star, <laughs> Jeff Daniel Phillips. A meal that was probably followed by a chocolate sundae, as the now total loser wore a fashionable braided belt most likely purchased from the dollar store. Frank, the tide is rising. And so is my body mass index. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, No, 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 no. He went from devouring screenplays to devouring chili dogs. The former Golden Globe winner now looks like he ate an elementary school globe. Uh, Again, shame on you, National Enquirer. Shame on you. A few minutes later, as she's peeling off her soaking wet tank top from getting sprayed by the neighbor kid, the mover barges into her bedroom. You know, she's got her, her just her bra on pushing a big dresser on a dolly. There's another highly uncomfortable scene here where he just stands there watching her as she stumbles over her words until she's saved by the doorbell. At the front door is chipper neighbor Jessica, who she's already met, accompanied by two other stylishly dressed ladies from the neighborhood, Christina and Katie. They've come to invite the presumed lonely Mary over to Christina's house that night for a high school graduation party for her son, Max. It's a barbecue, Christina says, so that means there'll be plenty of booze. And Katie tells Mary that she's so happy to have some new blood on the street, as these bitches can be a handful. And they all kind of nudge her and stuff. (laughs) Makes all three women start laughing. Christina and Katie actually come across as likable, fun, gracious, not nearly as Stepford Wives, kind of weird as as Jessica did. Uh, As far as new neighbors, they, they seem, you know, Hey, come over and have some booze and barbecue. Who doesn't like that? But it still takes some serious convincing to get Mary to agree to come. Once the ecstatic ladies leave uh, satisfied, the mover once again sidles in behind Mary as she quietly types away on her laptop in the kitchen. He leans against the fridge, crossing his arms and studies her silently. When she realizes that he's there, the mover tells her he's all done and asks if she wants to check out where he put everything. The big TV's fine, but when he asks if she wants to go in the bedroom with him and make sure her bed is where she wants it, all while staring straight, he's not even looking at her while he's talking to her. He's looking pat, right? He's not making eye contact with her at all. She wisely says, no, I'm, I'm, sure, it's, I'm sure it's fine. Mary does her best uh, to get the guy to leave, but he's in no hurry. She opens the door for him finally. You can go now. And he asks if she's staying here all alone, which would certainly terrify any woman who was in yeah. fact who was in fact staying there alone. What? She mutters. Pretty lady, all by her lonesome, he purrs. No, my husband is on the way. Mary says she gets some strength back in her voice. She's kind of sticking up to this guy. Just showing some concern, he grins as he shuts the door behind him. Mary watches the mover intensely as he closes up his moving truck. 
Just then, the creepy ice cream truck music blaring drives down the street in slow motion right around the right past the moving truck. Remember this crucial moment, boys, of of the mover getting out to his truck and the ice cream man passing by in slow motion. It's crucial to understanding the film's story as a whole later on. I'll just leave that at that. Night falls and Mary heads over to the graduation party a few blocks away. As she walks up, can I, can I interject real quick? You may certainly. By the way, ladies, if a creepy moving guy is standing in your doorway asking if you are alone, you tell him, no, my husband is on the way, but my brothers Smith and Wesson are always close. That's good advice. This has been a tut note. Did you just mansplain how to handle the situation? I did. We did. We're actually going to get to that later. Uh, one of the ladies brings up how they should be armed, but uh, we'll, actually pretty soon. Um, as Mary walks up Christina's driveway to the party, she bumps into the high school graduate himself, Max, and his girlfriend, Tracy, who are sneaking out with a handful of beers to smoke a doobie. Max invites Mary along to get high with them, and somewhat surprisingly to their shock, she accepts his offer. As long as she, they don't tell Max's mom. Bad decision number one. Sure. When when Mary does it, it's cool. When the doctor smokes weed with high school kids, he's put on a watch list. Hey, 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 I do uh, no Fucking, use in my life, sir. I'm just saying, on in, even in the hallowed halls of Princeton on the Pecos, I do not partake with the youngsters because I am conscious about what the old man smoking with the youngsters <laughs> looks like. And let's face it, Max is clearly 34 years old, so there's really not any awkward. <laughs> you know what? He was one of those weird actors that he's so small. Like the guy is very comes on screen very short, so that certainly helps him come across as younger. I, I could see him as a college kid. I, I didn't think he was yeah, that. Yeah. I didn't think he was that old. I thought I thought he I thought he was like 24. Uh, I could see him, you know, in the college deal. To me, I couldn't help thinking about the dude who played the villain in Blade, uh, the nineties. Oh, Stephen Dorff. Is, uh, is that the dude's name? Yeah. This kid kind of reminds yeah. me of him. He's got some dwarfism to him. <laughs> he's 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 got a little dwarf in him. I, I can see that. Big head. Well, I, I can agree with all of that until later in the movie where he takes his shirt off and he's like completely ripped. Like I spin like. <laughs> 18, you know, hours in the gym every day. And I'm like, no, I do this not. There has not been, there might've been some believability. Enter his body. <laughs> well, the teenagers, Max and Tracy can't believe that this, this older woman is coming with them to, to smoke out. But, uh, you know, there they go. Uh, it turns out Mary went to the same high school as Tracy. So she and the kids kind of hit it off swapping stories while they toke up. Mary's a writer, so she's a little quirky, as most writers are, a little awkward, and she seems far more comfortable talking to Max and Tracy than the adults that she's met so far. The teens think she's cool. Tracy even tells Mary, you so don't seem like a grown-up, to which Mary responds that that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to her. Uh, Once Mary's nice and buzzed, dude, after her first puff, she starts coughing up, grabs one of their beers, and takes a big chug, and all right. Mary, Mary, Mary likes to party. Um, 
she says, I, I, I can't believe I'm going to go be sociable now, but I got to go. So she, she walks across the street to the party, leaving the kids there to, to finish their beer. As she's walking across the street, she hears the distant sounds of the ice cream truck music. But then again, she's been hearing it all day and maybe she's just stoned and it's just playing in her head. Who knows? The trio of soccer moms, Jessica, Christina, and Katie, all welcome Mary seconds after she walks in the backyard gate. And she's not concealing her being high as fuck very well at all. Luckily, all her fellow grown-ups have been drinking for hours, so if they do notice that she's high, they don't say anything. Uh, Jessica takes Mary by the hand to go fetch her a vodka tonic as Christina sends Max's dad out to look for their son so they can cut the cake. Max and Tracy uh, from down the street hear his dad yelling out for him, so he has to head back to the party. Tracy laughs. She says, I'm far too high to deal with that whole scene. Uh, So he leaves without her. She's going to finish the joint and her beer. Only a few minutes later, a stoner's wet dream drives down the street in the form of an ice cream truck. Tracy tosses her beer can and flags the truck down. Hell Dude, yeah. If you're high as fuck in the middle of the night and an ice cream truck drives by. If I could dog whistle, I'd, I'd, I'd do the Dutch, the Dutch predator whistle. Uh, it you at all that it's driving by your house at 10 o'clock. This, yeah, not, yeah, 10 o'clock at night. This scene with Tracy and him, but also with, with Max and his dad outside their house, the nighttime cinematography in this film is stellar, especially for a low-budget film. With you can att- see everything. Attention is paid to lighting, not just the entire frame, even the corners Everything is lit perfectly, but not flatly. You can tell certain things are accented, certain not. That's what Carpenter does. He makes you look in the corners to see what's happening when you normally would. And it's good looking. Oh, it looks great. Yeah. Fuck you, HBO Game of Thrones. On your billion-dollar budgets, and yeah, you're, right? gonna spit, you're gonna film an undead, uh, undead dragon fighting another dragon in this epic final war, and then you're not gonna let anybody see it because it's like it's nighttime and we want to be realistic. There's nothing to see. Yeah. Fuck you. These guys did it right. The freaking fifties used to just slap a blue filter over there and call it a day, and it looked beautiful. I am so sick and tired of realistic night. This is not realistic night, but it 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 certainly comes across as realistic night because it's it, it feels like night, and I never once questioned. Oh man, this isn't really night. It's it's too much light. I, I never once thought that. I kind of uh, live out in the suburbs now, and uh, it is very well lit at night. But 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 you could tell that actually they, it's kind of that that part's tonally realistic. I mean, it's not. But you, but you could tell, Doctor, that they didn't just set up the camera and you don't get this look from just setting up the camera and rolling under some streetlights. They paid attention to to lighting the details and you don't see that in low-budget films, horror or otherwise, very often. So big props. I'm going to give the cinematographer some props here. Stephen Tringali for his work here because this film looks, I think I used the word stellar. It looks stellar. Yeah, big thumbs up. I got a you got a much straighter thumb than me. I got like a crooked, weird. Uh, 
the young and clean cut ice cream man. Well, real quick, uh, as she flags down the ice cream man, fairly slow burning cigar. Uh, you, it's, you'd normally be a lot more into this thing by now. I'm doing, my, I'm doing my best to slow down. I'm, I'm doing my best to slow down. That white, pe- that white pepper, um, and 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 mineral. The the sweetness for me is gone now on the retro yeah, it's head. Gone. It's 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 long gone. Um, but I am getting that the the white pepper is still there. It's kind of ebbing and flowing. Couple puffs, it's stronger. Yeah. Uh, then it dies down a little bit. Um, and then I am still getting that graphite kind of pencil shavings thing on there while the cedar and mineral and that unique floral component are still shining brightly through the draw. Is that kind of what you guys are getting? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of missing the the floral component to be honest, but everything else is there. Uh and then I'm also getting a little bit of introduction of just a regular earth that that Nicaraguan earth profile. Through the draw? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um construction's been great. Uh the the ash doesn't like to hang on there for too long, but yeah. uh, it's it, the great, great smooth draw. Uh, burn. I have not, I'm talking a lot. Haven't had to relight it. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 going great. Okay. Construction is great, aside from me ripping off the uh, the pigtail like the moving guy one to rip off. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. The rest of her clothes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, you. Yeah. You savage. Savage. You Texas State boys are savage. Uh, and it's actually pairing fairly well with, uh, or I, I'd say they're, it's pairing harmoniously with my beer. Neither one's doing anything for the other. Tut- dark of the moon. The dark of the moon is wolf howling all over the cigar. I got to give it plenty of space. Understandable. Understandable. I say that because it has a werewolf on, on the, uh, on the, on the deal there. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that looks it's just like a Halloween thing. That that looks just like a normal wolf. It doesn't look like a werewolf. No, that's it's standing up on the the thing. It's got oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. I got you. I got you. Um, for those of you interested in how I would behave if I were to turn into a werewolf, you can revisit one of our Romacraft episodes where we, we got into the nuts and bolts of. If you would, if you could be a vampire or a werewolf, what would you choose? And we we riffed on that for quite some time, uh, much to Skip and Mike's disapproving glances. They, I don't think they really, I don't think they really got a kick out of that. The audience feedback was bonkers. The audience loved it. Uh, uh, guys, guys, we're here to talk about tobacco. Uh, what what is this? I think I went into like a 10 minute thing on the different types of vests I would wear as a werewolf. <laughs> I wanted to wear like a wet, a wedding vest. So it had the retractable band in the back. So I could loosen it up when yeah, I was, yeah. were, when I was werewolf. Yeah, that way you're not totally naked. Yeah. Yeah. I did. You could you'd adjust it. And then uh, I'd wear a pair of jean shorts. I always of, believe in the, just the jean pockets. Like you'd have the, just, just cut off. Have like a, be- a belt pocket. with just the hanging pockets. Yeah. yeah that's, you have your keys and your wallet. So when you, when you, transformed into yeah. the werewolf form, you'd have just the pockets hanging there. Your wolf junk would be hanging out, but you'd have your pockets with your stuff in it. No, that's exactly what I did because if I'm stalking innocent people in the park and I don't get and I, and I don't get a kill, I don't get fed as a werewolf, 
I just get in my car because I got my keys in my little jean pockets hanging down. I go to Jack in the Box, get some tacos. And if you wake up in the morning, you know, in a field, sated with blood all over your mouth, you're going to find your way home. But you'll then you'll have the jean pockets with the keys and your wallet in it. Yes, doctor. That was my thinking. Yes. Hmm. But uh, you're probably going to be miles away from the car. No, but you'll have your keys. You can get back into your home. Eventually. You're probably going to be miles away from your home, too. Can you picture, though, the Uber guy picking you up and you got a little jean, a belt with jean pockets hanging? Cade, it sounds like you can take the man out of Texas State. But you can't take Texas State out of the man. The young and clean-cut ice cream man steps out of the back of the truck and asks Tracy what he can get for her. When she asks for a Nestle's Crunch Bar, he apologizes and explains that he's a purist, only offering regular old ice cream, cups, cones, and shakes. No store-bought confections here, just the real deal. His delivery is slow and precise. He's polite, yet he's driving around in an ice cream truck in the middle of the night, so, you know. Read into that, which will. He climbs back in the truck and leans over the ice cream freezer, asking Tracy what flavor she'd like. She can't make up her mind, so she asks if she can get in the creepy ice cream truck and take a look around. Bad idea. Which elicits a slight smile on his face, and he says, sure, come on up. When Tracy Bad reje- idea. Bad idea, Jeans. When Tracy rejects his recommendation of a scoop of rum raisin, ugh, who could blame her? God, that sounds terrible. Uh, his demeanor changes. He really wanted her to have rum raisin. And he swings one of the rear doors closed. Tracy's alarmed, obviously, and demands that the ice cream man let her out. But instead, he grabs her and calmly slits her throat. As she bleeds out on the floor of the truck, He makes himself an ice cream cone, takes a few bites, then tosses it aside, closes up the truck, and slowly drives off into the night. Looks like she's headed to the funeral parlor. Now I'm headed to the pizza parlor. Yeah! (laughs) Doctor, you you do it much better than me. Sorry. Uh, Yeah. Oh, everybody can enjoy it. Everyone can enjoy it. Uh, let me try it again. Well, Frank, she's certainly dead now. But my appetite isn't. Let's go to Arby's. Yeah. All right. Yeah. My wife's going to be so pissed that I ruined her sunglasses tonight. <laughs> like stretching them out of my big ass head. Um, the red haired has been went from CSI to Miami to woofing down Denny's moons over Miami, all while wearing some flattering flip flops with one soul coming loose. Onlookers wondered aloud if the kiss of death star could still trim his own toenails without assistance. Terrible, terrible. Inquire, come on. Call that journalism? 
To be fair, has the Enquirer ever sold themselves as a real journalistic periodical? Now, wasn't the owner of the Enquirer like one of those Trump guys, like the pillow dude? Wasn't he like all cozy with those dudes? Uh, don't give me a line. Uh, sounds, it sounds like it makes sense, though, doesn't it? Uh, we rejoined Mary at the party, now sipping straight vodka and people watching. Still high. One so- dude... One dude, TNCC style. Uh, yeah. Are we not going to talk about the ice cream guy? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? All right, so I'm. am I the only one who was watching this entire character? And I'm like, man, if Mincy had this role, this would be the most awesome thing I have watched ever. Wow, thank you, Tut. To, uh, I I could not for the rest of this show. I couldn't tell you what this guy looked like. I couldn't tell you anything about this guy because I just saw you and heard you delivering every single line that this guy had, and I was like, Mincy would kill. I absolutely slay this role. And I appreciate that, Todd. I, re- I really think I could have done something with the role of the ice cream man. I, I never thought about it, so uh, thank you. I the, the, on, the only thing I would, and I when Tut said that, I actually did have that thought. Because a couple of the lines he did remind me a lot of some lines that the doctor had in uh, a, a horror film that we shot years ago called Underbelly, which is out on YouTube if you want to check it out. Uh, it's on our channel. But I was like, man, I was like, only change physically I would do to the character because I love the plain white uniform with the black tie, black belt, white apron, white shirt, white pants. I would have put one of those little white hats that the ice cream guys wear on on the doctor. And okay. and I agree. I, I thought this guy did great. Almost like a little yeah. triangular paper triangle on his head. Yeah, I, I, I thought this guy did really, really good. And the thing about him was uh, let me double check this to make sure, but it always astounds me how good other countries, guys, actors from other countries do English accent, like American, English, American accents. Yeah. And there's always these dudes that, that, you know, are in movies and you're like, wow, I, I had no idea that guy wasn't from here. Yeah. He, he's either Scottish or Irish. Like his entire IMDb page is is acting over you know in his native Norway. His, na- his name his name's Emil Johnson. Is it Norway, Doctor? Yeah. And he kind of adopted yeah, a light southern lilt almost. Yeah, yeah there was a, a little southern. southern. There's a, an intentional little southern charm to his delivery. And man, the dude's fucking Norway. It or yeah, I didn't I didn't know I didn't know he was. I didn't know he was a foreigner. Uh, Iceland or Norway? Norway. Norway, okay. Well, Tud, I would have played it straight up Southern. I appreciate your kind words. And what you've done is really uh, inspire me to tomorrow afternoon at the gym, go up to one of the young college-age ladies there and tell them to try the rum raisin. Report back. Let us know (laughs) how that goes. Uh, you know, I don't see any reason why not. If they're just doing their leg curls, just kind of walk over there and have a little help. I'll put the little paper triangle on my. Yes, please, please. I have like a pair of Nike shorts on, but the, the apron. Yeah, <laughs> the, 
it was um i think it would i think it was when he was explaining that he's a traditionalist and there's no he doesn't go for the other stuff i think that kind of that kind of reminded me of that scene in underbelly and ever since then i was just like holy shit man i think mincy would just destroy this and it I mean, it, it was good i mean and I that's had- that's I feel bad because now I've told the guy who actually did a good job in this that I don't really remember him at all. I was just seeing Mitzi in this role. Hey, I I had the same thought, so there must be something to it. Uh, so Mary's back. We go back to Mary at the party, still high and drinking heavily. Uh, when no one's looking, she goes over and just does straight vodka into her, into her glass, TNCC style. Speaking of TNCC style, one dude sneaks a beer bottle from the hand of a passed out old guy and starts drinking it himself. (laughs) Like that move. After the cake ceremony, neighbor Jessica makes her way over to Mary. She asks if she misses her husband, which Mary says she does. And then Jessica casually tells her that if she was ever tempted to cheat on him, you know, now would be the good time. Now would be a good time. Mary takes a large gulp of vodka and informs her new neighbor that she has a really good vibrator, which causes Jessica's jaw to drop as she scuffles, she scuffles off. I got, I got to find my kids. The whole thing is kind of weird because they really just met that morning. Yeah. It um, it's it, it, Agreed, Doctor. Yeah, but they're drunk at a party, so I mean, maybe I'll, I'll give them a pass on that. Yeah, it maybe was Jessica, a weird exchange, though. You know, maybe, the, maybe the filters are down. Maybe Jessica's a drunk, desperate housewife who's not happy with her marriage, and after a few, you know, martinis, she yeah. she she just lets loose a little bit. But she was not ready for that vibrator uh, reference at all. But I uh, will say that you know it, it's a feel, it's a weird vibe at the party. You know, uh, what's her name is feeling weird about the whole thing, so. This weird conversation, you know, kind of fits in with it. It fits in. Everything weird fits in. And that's really hard to do uh, without becoming a David Lynch mess because there's only one David Lynch. And it's hard to be David Lynch if you're not him, if that makes sense. And this film actually pulls off weird well um, as a whole. But we'll, we'll get a little bit to that later. As Mary watches Katie, the other housewife, overflow a plastic cup with white wine, tut style. Dude, it's all the way to the top. And she's like, yeah, a little more. It's pouring all over her hand. <laughs> the newly graduated Max approaches Mary. The suburbs. Weird, huh? Mary agrees, although she had forgotten just how weird they are. He compares it to living in a big bubble. But Mary adds to that, explaining, you know what? It's a big bubble that means well. He can't wait to get the hell out of this town. He's headed to state college soon. Tud style. Uh, But she says, you know what? That's just another big bubble. But she urges him not to be in such a rush because crazy resides everywhere. Max is summoned away by his drunk uncle. That was the guy that stole the beer from the passed out dude. I think Mary says he looks like a drunk uncle. Um, and then the sleeping old guy with the ponytail wakes up and saunters over to Mary. Where, where you been all my life, honey? She explains she's been living in Seattle with her husband and turns to leave, only to have her arm grabbed once again by a smiling Max. 
Now that was the role I thought I could have done something with Tut was that guy. Rebound, <laughs> <laughs> on my left. Dude, old ponytailed guy. That's the part Tut was born to play. You, you flatter me. I was actually I, I, Doctor, you could have been the guy that took the beer from passed out Tut with the ponytail. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you, Tut. Uh, she tells, get a toothpick. <laughs> she tells Max that she's had enough mingling for one night, and maybe they can discuss the meaning of life some other time. Before she goes, he tells her if she ever needs some more grass, a.k.a. weed, uh, just call his mom and tell her that she has some yard work for him to do. Grass of all kinds, apparently, is his business. Um, so he clearly is into his new older neighbor, and her demeanor isn't exactly dissuading it. Granted, she's high and drunk, but... Uh, she's hot, uh, man. I mean, come on. She's a good-looking woman. But this little interaction between Max and Mary at the party does not go unnoticed by nosy neighbor Jessica. She's over there watching... Um, as Mary approaches her house, she notices her porch lights off and all right, this very few things I'm going to say critical of this film. I could have swore I left that light on. She says out loud. All right. But at the end of the movie, this might make sense because that's what characters in movies do. They talk out loud and they point things out, which you don't do in real life. But at this point in the story, things are, whether we realize it now or not, which you won't upon your first viewing, it kind of makes sense. Well, she's when she also en- high and, and drunk, so maybe you start talking to yourself. I certainly do. I do. Right now, I think I'm talking to four dudes. Am I? Yes. Okay, you yes, guys are, you are here. You guys are really here. Okay, good. There's a lot of nights I, I come out here and, oh. man, the, the talks we've had. That we never, <laughs> never had. Uh, well, when she enters the house, behind her through a window, we see the ice cream man standing outside by the pool in the background. Uh-oh. Mary digs a crumpled pack of Parliament cigarettes. Oh, I miss my Parliaments. Out of an old box that she brought from Seattle and steps out back for a smoke. But just as she sits down, she hears a girl scream out in the distance, followed by a dog barking loudly. She exits the side gate to investigate, but the street is empty and still. At this point, are you guys getting the sense that Mary might have a rocky road ahead? Uh, yes. Well, here's the scoop. She does. And speaking of scoops, do I have one for you guys? Just in case you folks at home weren't listening to what I said earlier about Drew Estate's latest creation, I'm going to go ahead and say it again now. Introduced during Freestyle Live Special Edition, 20 Acre Farm by Drew Estate is a complex and medium-bodied cigar with super oaky and cedary notes accompanied by a whisper of white pepper and a bright hint of citrus. 20 Acre Farm is built using a velvety Ecuadorian Connecticut shade-grown wrapper, a sun-grown Habano binder, and a filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa blended with the opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf. Is that right? Opulent or opulent? Opulent. Opulent. Okay. I shouldn't have questioned myself. Which is humbly, and as we explained, lovingly, grown one harvest at a time by Jeff Borshowitz on a pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central Florida town of Claremont. We've all been there. I mean, the four of us, we've been there. And uh, 
doctor uh, wrote up a very nice piece about our visit to the Claremont, Florida farm. Uh, you can go to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club website and check that out. And um, go buy one if you're interested. Anything new on the, the cigar? The rain is falling in the field. Man, is it just me or is the... What the leaves feel. Is, is he singing to the tobacco leaves? Yes. Yes. Is it just me or is the overall is the overall strength kicking up a little bit around the halfway point? It has gone up a little bit for it's me a, anyway. Everything's a little more bolder here in the middle portion. Is that I can agree with that. I can agree with that. I'm starting to taste uh, flavors a little bit more pronounced that are starting to push back on the dark of the moon. The pepper is excuse me, really getting him. The pepper. <laughs> You're like, the pepper's not over. <laughs> the, pep, the pepper is. I was about to say, the, the pepper's actually escalating here at the 50-yard yeah. line, uh, hence my sneezing. And, uh, man, everything's just seeming to come in through a little bit louder uh, and, and bolder here. I agree. I agree. The volume has been turned up. Nice little twists and turns in this uh, stealthy cigar. Take a drink here. The next morning, Mary goes out for a jog. Doctor, you're a jogger. What'd you think of her jogging form? Uh, boy, interesting. I didn't really give it much thought. Uh, what I did think was that uh, usually, if you've had a late night, you don't get going early in the morning. On that, well, she's a little bit younger than us. She's got about ten years on us, probably. Uh, yeah, but I mean, how many times did you ever like, you know, stumble in at the break of dawn and then get all, up it, and go it, jogging? It never explicitly states this is eight a.m. It, it, this like could be taking her getting up to go to take kids to school or something. Oh day. yeah, she was having to get in the car. Yeah, you're right. Actually, well, I don't care if it's five a.m. I'm not out in that hot sun jogging after a night of boozing. I'm not nitpicking. I I didn't uh, to specifically answer your question. Uh, she's a very attractive woman. I, I didn't see anything wrong with her jogging form. I would to, like to point out. To the credibility of the scene, though, she was huffing and wheezing quite a bit. She was having a hard time of it. Well, that's true. We'll have to, I will have to say I was at a, at a Smoker's Abbey one time, and uh, there was these two young men sitting across from me smoking their cigars. And after they finished, uh, the other one looks at the other one and like, well, time to go work out. And the other one's like, yeah, let's go. They both got up, and I was just like, be out of your mind. What were you going to say, doctor? It was, this gives nothing away, because I know that there's something of a reveal later on, but it was pretty early on here that not having any specific idea that I started to think that something wasn't going to be quite what it seemed with the narrative. In this scene specifically? Not not the jogging scene. It was somewhere here. Uh, I think it was. As, as I'll tell you what, as we move forward, jump in and let me know if you can pinpoint that moment. I'd be I'd be curious to hear what it was. I'm curious too. Because on my first viewing, I did not. Okay, so it. I, I want to say this to, for full disclosure. I meant to watch the movie in one sitting. And I uh, had some uh, things come up in the afternoon yesterday. So at around the time where she showed up, 
around the time where she had smoked the joint and then was then going into the backyard of the pool to the party, I had to stop the movie for a while. Turned out that was in retrospect, a pretty good place to stop it because it took me a few hours to get back to it. And I kept thinking about where things were going. Uh, and so there was a part where uh, when she's on the phone with her husband and is talking about when she purchased the chairs and there was just something about the house being devoid of furniture and that she'd bought these chairs that I started wondering. Uh, I'll specifically get back to what I thought because I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, w- w- you know, I, I can't say that I anticipated what was going to happen. What I thought was was turned out to not be the case, but it was around that that point when I was like, why, if she's a freelance writer, why would she need to move ahead of her family? Uh, something just seemed weird. I started thinking it isn't going to be what it seems. I, w- I was wrong what I thought, but it was only because I stopped it and had to do some other things and had a few hours to think about it before I came back to it. Okay. I, I do have a theory, actually, Doctor, on what you had a theory on. I'm curious if I'm right, but we should probably save that. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, uh, at this point, remind me, I, remind me at the end, Doctor, to address your 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 hypothesis at this point in the story. Yes, and I'll say one other thing that that the film does continue throughout the the writer director continues to throw some misdirection at you, and, and at some point, I thought some of that misdirection what they was obvious what what you were maybe supposed to think but we'll we'll get to that down the road uh, I, I i didn't see obvious misdirection and, uh, uh, th- thank you because i was like i i'm hook line and sinker on the whole I, timeline i, I, I was expecting anything my first viewing i was hook line and sinker also i like what i'm seeing is what's happening and but doctor at the end remind me I, I think I'm I might. Old, have. Yeah, I'm, cu- I'm curious. I'll, I'll what, have to actually agree off. with the doctor because when they're sitting, when she's in there, it got the big. She's got big chairs. I blah blah blah. I bought these things. She's living in this house, but I'm literally noticing, like, you know, she's had this her furniture moved in, meaning that they brought the everything, the boxes, all of that. There's nothing in that living room. There's no pictures up. She's there's nothing you would figure. My family's showing up. I'm going to try and get some things on the walls. And so I'm okay. like, what's going on here? Okay. I'm just going to, I don't think it ruins anything moving forward because you guys have openly admitted, or Dr. Yuma, you were wrong. Were you thinking at this point that her family had died and that she is moving there alone and there's actually no family coming to join her? Yes. And whether or not she was responsible for their deaths was something that I was considering. Oh, I, I, I hadn't gotten that far into, into the theory, but I, I, I could see where you were going with that. I know you well enough, and I, I could see that. And that, but, that she had imagined those phone calls to the husband and kids. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 it, which, which, to this film's credit, we've seen that in films a dozens right. of times, and it's, that's not this film. Right. And obviously, it's not a spoiler alert. I was wrong. Yeah. Okay. Well, as she's jogging, uh, but I'm with Tut. I didn't have any, I didn't sense any ulterior 
trickery or cleverness. I, I took well, everything. No, I, I, just, I, took yeah, every, I thought I, it was one I, of those things that, you know, she's living in this house. She's doing, I mean, when people move in, they start to move in. They, yeah, you but, know, start yeah, to see boxes. Yeah, as a, I, I, I'd call myself a writer. Uh, hell, I wrote 19 fucking pages on the ice cream truck for tonight. But I've also written many screenplays and whatnot. My whole my whole life since I was a little kid, I, I write. And I think I can say, in her defense, creative writers are intensely lazy. She's not cracking open boxes and hanging pictures. If you don't have your, especially if you're a parent and you don't have your fucking kids around, you are not doing shit but laying around and smoking weed and drinking. <laughs> this is like a three-day mini vacation. She's in no rush to start tearing open boxes. This is where, that's where I sense something might be wrong, and that was a theory. The misdirection I'm talking about happens later on. All right. Let, y'all, let, y'all gonna have to explain this whole, I'll just say it right now. Y'all gonna have to explain this ending to me like my discreet math professor right. explains Fibonacci proofs. I'm on because it. Because I don't understand any of this. I'm on it, and when it gets to that point, Todd, I promise you, you will understand. I, I promise you. Well, as she's jogging, she finds Tracy, Max's girlfriend from the, the night before, her flower hairpin in the middle of the street. She picks it up uh, and takes it. And then she encounters Max's mom, Christina, as she's taking out the trash on her, like you said, on her way to carpool. And she starts a conversation with her. When Mary reveals to her that she drove here from Seattle alone, Christina can't believe her ears. Mary explains that as a writer, she was hoping for some inspiration along the long drive. And she got to listen to a bunch of amazing podcasts like the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. So that was good. But Christina, in her stylish skirt and blouse, doesn't understand any of what she's saying. I just hope you were packing a gun. There's a lot of crazies out there. Well, Mary says, I don't own a gun. And when she mentions that she better get home because her yard's a real mess, Christina mutters, yeah, we know. The friendliness, there's always a snide remark. It's like the DailyMail.com. David Caruso, now a giant loser, you know, uh, wearing an attractive pair of khaki docker slacks. Dude, there's always a a, a yin and yang with these (laughs) ladies. Uh, She... She can't believe what this the the stuff that this lady's saying. First, uh, Mary says, "Wait, doesn't your son Max do yard work? Can he come work on my yard?" Which gets a very suspicious, uh, judgmental. Oh, you eye- want my son to come over and mow your lawn? Work on your yard it gets a good eyebrow raising from trim the hedges, perhaps. Which is. No, it's actually cinematically a really cool reaction because she's suspicious, but at the same time, her son does do yard work. So she quickly shifts gears and is like, yeah, I'll, I'll tell him and his friends to, to come over there. And there comes the neighborhood smile again. We'll see you later, Mary. Um, it, these, especially the behavior of these neighborhood women, neighborhood women set the film's mood off kilter without it being forced or too stereotypical, which we've seen a lot of other genre films. And I think that has to do with the direction, but also the cast 
the entire cast is to be commended for pulling off these characters as well as they do. That shit ain't easy to do nice and judgmental and smiles and eyebrow raises. And they don't come across B level. They come across like yeah. actual, yeah. actual, actual people and honest reactions. That's just, that's hard to do as an actor. I thought this film was cast wonderfully and I thought everybody did really good in it. And actually after, after this exchange, I was thinking that there might be a little step for thing going on to where all the neighbors in the neighborhood knew what was going on and they were trying to warn her without getting caught by whatever was out there watching. Yes. Somebody's somebody's always watching you and what you say and you better have a gun and they're trying to yeah. protect this thing. That's a good point too. I never I never thought of that, Todd. I never thought that it was a Stepford Wives community where there's constant surveillance and these wives are robots. I never considered that kind of weird thing. Uh, I didn't think they were robots. I just, I just thought that they knew what was going on and they, they were, they, they couldn't tell her outright, but they yeah. were trying to try like to the, warn her. A little like bit. the ice cream man killing people is what gives them the, the, the riches that affords their lifestyles. And we just have to placate the ice cream man and we can yeah. keep, we can keep paying the bills and having vacations and that, that never occurred to me. I, I love where you guys' heads were going in this movie. That's That says something. Most of the shit you watch, your your minds never go outside of the obvious narrative, you know? Yeah. Well, because a lot, most of the movies don't go outside the obvious narrative. No, they don't. No, they don't. Well, later on, Mary is woken up from a nap by the sound of the ice cream truck. It drives slowly past her house with the ice cream man giving her a nod. The always high-strung and anxious Jessica next door is pruning her hedges. She asks if Mary's husband's coming home soon, and Mary says she has two whole days left to get into trouble. And speaking of trouble, a short while later, Max and his two high school buddies, Nick and Joe, ring Mary's bell. What? One, that's, one that's second. Not a, that's not a euphemism. They actually ring her doorbell. This was the scene with uh, Jennifer or the next-door neighbor where she was trimming <laughs> yes. the hedges. Jessica, yeah. With just the look that she gave when she delivered the line, is your husband coming home soon? And she just had that concerned look when she said no. That's why I thought, I really thought there was something going on that, that Jennifer wanted to warn her about. Something. Jessica. Jessica. Jessica wanted to warn her about something, but couldn't. But the flip side is Jessica saw this chick with Max Knew, or I think that she had a, a feeling that this lady was going to hook up with Max. That's why other lady was snarky to her. And then she was like, is your husband coming home soon? Because I don't want you to bed my... my oh, no, uh, you, bet, you, you, bet your, you bet your sweet balls that Jessica saw Max and Mary talking at the party, and she told Max's mom, Christina. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's why Christina gave her the, the raised eyebrow when she was like, can your son come work on my yard? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. Uh, hi, Mary, a grinning Max says as he holds up a big bag of weed. I heard you need some yard work. <laughs> oh, God, no, she says. I, I'm i sorry. I actually do need some yard work done. And he kind of sheepishly puts the – oh, God. Oh, sorry. I, that, was, that, was, that was actually a big chuckle moment for me. Yeah, he puts the bag of weed back in his pocket. Good uh, job, he, Dorf. He apologizes, but then she says, you know what, I'll – I'll take the fat sack too. And that makes it all okay. 
their interaction is semi-flirtatious, always, as he asks her, what exactly do you need done? And she swallows hard. She does a lot of physical gulps and kind of facial stuff. Uh, it's basically like the beginning of every, this scene is basically like the beginning of every 12 minute MILF porno clip online. <laughs> the, the young dude coming to, to work on the grass, to, you know, work on the lawn, the chick meeting him at the door. I only know this from what I learned from extensive research I did on MILF porn just for this show. I never watched it before. I'd never seen it before. So right. diligent in researching where things come from. But the, the young watch. The young hard the young hard bodied stud showing up to take care of the chick's yard. It seems to be very much similar to this scene right here. Uh, I'm a pro. I have to look at all the angles and and you know research uh, everything. You look at all the angles, all right. Much like the cinematographer, I got to shine light in all the corners of this story. You know, I'm a I'm a film detective, if you will. Um, not by choice. That's what you've asked of me, and that's what I'm trying to do. Mary asks Max, the victim has been shot. And it looks like the perpetrator shot his wad. (laughs) He does not shoot his wad here. He does not shoot his wad here. Uh, Mary asks... Mary asks Max uh, how Tracy's doing. There's a little sexual tension here. Best to diffuse it by asking about his girlfriend. And he kind of shakes his head. He's like, I haven't heard from her since she bailed on my party uh, the other night. I guess she's pissed at me for some reason. To which his buddy, uh, Joe, explains to Mary, that's because Max told her he wants to be single in college. And she's like, yeah, that's. That's a good way that's not it. to. That's a good way not to get any more ass. Uh, oh, and speaking of ass, as the boys unload their tools from the pickup truck, Nick gets a text from his girlfriend Bree, and he bails on them. He looks at his text. Got to go, dude. Sorry, got to get some ass. <laughs> I thought these. I thought these high school kids were written really good too. Uh, he's like, sorry, bros. Got to go get some ass. Uh. As Nick walks down the street uh, with his head buried in his cell phone, he is a high school kid, Nick uh, looks up to find the ice cream truck pulling over directly in front of him. The ice cream man exits the truck, and by now the turquoise and white ice cream truck is very much a central figure in this film. It literally couldn't look any better than it does. Like If you were like, how do we make a creepy ice cream truck for this movie? I wouldn't change a thing to this thing. I've never seen a truck that look. It's perfect. It's a perfect uh, ice cream truck. I'll agree to disagree. It is a beautiful truck. It's very visually striking. But I almost think that you would get more horror element out of just a regular ice cream truck. I disagree. Something that, something that everybody can associate I, with. I, dis- I disagree. I think that the fact that he's so old-fashioned and a traditional old-fashioned truck. A traditionalist, and it's a very old-fashioned truck. I also, I thought about doing a double feature tonight. I'm glad I didn't. Uh, 1995's The Ice Cream Man, starring Clint Howard as a killer slasher ice cream man. 
he drives the truck with all the pictures on the side. It looks like every yeah, ice cream yeah, truck. Yeah. It's not scary at all. It has no presence on screen. Okay. This this truck is so unique. I thought they did it. They just hit it out of the park with this thing. Okay. Uh, My only gripe on the truck was like it was all. I mean, given for what it was, but I was like, if you if I guess as a as a element in the film is like I felt like it. It doesn't look like it got used, but maybe that was on purpose. I don't know. He cleans it every night. He, the dude's a he's pro. He's meticulous. He's meticulous. He cleans his scoops. He cleans his freezer. He cleans his truck. Like the thing is spotless, but it's clearly looked the way it's looked for you know sixty years probably. Um. Well, he he jumps out of the back of the truck. Hello there, young fella. The ice cream man says, even though he's only maybe a few years older than Nick at that. Are you kidding me? Nick asks. Kidding you about what? Your shtick. You know, some things in this life are sacred. The ice cream truck being one of them. Is it so wrong to make things more special for the little kids? The ice cream man reasons calmly. So what? You're always in character? I guess you could say that. So what will it be, my friend? The ice cream man offers for Nick to climb up in his truck, uh, like he did Tracy, to view all his flavors for himself, but Nick's buried in his phone. He's not getting up there. Uh, Ice Cream Man recommends pralines and cream, but a timid Nick orders two chocolate cones instead. Well, doesn't that sound delicious? A traditionalist, I see. Yeah, whatever, Nick huffs, as he holds up a 20, ready to move on with his life and get to Bree's house for some of the aforementioned ass. What the hell's a praline? It's like it's, a uh, type of cookie almost, uh, like a real flat cookie, right? Yeah, because I think it has like pecans or something in it. It is. Well, the praline is, as in in Kay's parlance, it's a pecan. A pecan. No, I say, pe- I say pecans. Then why do you call it pecos? Because that's how the, because that's how, that's how Pocahontas said it. It's not how Pocahontas said anything. (laughs) She's on film saying it that way. But I guess you guys know more about shit than Pocahontas. Well, we know more than you. Yes, we do. So it's a, praline is a, is a pecan. A pecan. Yeah, pecan and cream. Why don't they just call it pecans? Because praline is just another word for it. Yeah. It's fancy. If they call it, if they called it pecans and cream, I might try it. I'm gonna get you some rum and raisin, boy. <laughs> no, you take it eat. Oh God, no, I I disagree, Todd. It's way more. <laughs> when the when the doctor says rum and raisin, it's it's. Ugh. Uh, I'm just saying. Every time that this guy utters a line, I just I'm looking at Mincy. And I'm seeing Mincy deliver these lines. Uh, well, that's a testament to what he did in our film and what he does in all our films. Look at, check out our short film Hipster and the Unreliables and all that fun stuff. The, the doctor, man, the doctor brings it. Uh, cream. I'm going to say that to somebody tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so Nick gets the two chocolate cones and rings Breeze Bell. Again, not a euphemism. He rings her doorbell. And she's thrilled to see both him and her chocolate ice cream cone. 
she straddles him on the couch. Her parents are out of town, yeah. obviously. And she starts licking her cone. What are you trying to do to me, Nick Smiles? Their foreplay is interrupted by the doorbell ringing. Bree asks Nick to answer the door, but he explains he has a huge boner. <laughs> Baby, I can't do it. I got a big boner. You, it's up to you. Uh, she fine. That's that's just realistic writing right there. <laughs> I'm going to start using that just for like, hey, do you mind running down to the store? And hey, baby, I got a big boner. I can't do that. Oh, yeah, let me see it. All right, I'll go to the store. <laughs> Bluff called. Uh, Problem is, you say you have a big boner and you're watching football. <laughs> the animal planet. <laughs> well, when the cowboys are up, I mean, you know, sometimes shouldn't you be going to the grocery store? Ah, come on, I got a big boner. So you're watching wrestling. <laughs> to the you store see, I go. <laughs> you see John Cena in those little jean shorts, right? Right. Please, right? You could, right? You, you could, you could have done the Sasha Banks or the Flair Girl, but oh, I guess I, I guess I could have said a female. Cena, I mean, no, you, a female, you, I guess you, I could have gone a, a female wrestler. I, I, I went straight to Cena. That's weird. Uh, well, when she, when uh, Bree answers the door, it's the ice cream man asking her if he can use her bathroom as he doesn't have a, a restroom in his truck. Bree says, uh, "No, I don't even know you." And before she can close the door, he forces his way inside. Nick charges at him, but the ice cream man stabs him several times in the gut, dropping him like a 10-gallon tub of plain vanilla. He then proceeds to bash Bree over the head repeatedly with his ice cream scoop, splattering himself with blood in the process. He's covered in blood. The wall's covered in blood. Like We get some good red splatter here. Uh, We're finally seeing what this little bastard's capable of. We then watch from afar down the white hallway as our villain casually takes a whiz. It's a static shot down a long hallway behind a half-closed door. He takes a whiz, washes the blood off his face, washes his hands, and he exits the house, stepping over Bree and Nick's corpse on the way out. It's a pretty brutal, cool little scene. Hey, doctor, what's the uh, CSI, Frank? Hey, Frank, looks like this case is closed. Luckily, Taco Bell isn't. Yeah! I just wanted to try it. Uh, Fun, isn't it? It is fun. It is fun. If you if you boys have some shades, you should go for it. It's it's. Do you think Home Dude would have killed them if they let him use the restroom? Yes. Okay. But possibly not. I'm still trying to get in the head inside the head of this dude. Like, what triggers him? Yeah. Now, like, is it just the sex? I, I just. I don't know, or it's just anything that's a traditional. I don't know. It's a good point. Only after the young people. It's a good point, though, Todd. 
But I mean, he killed Tracy and she was nice and polite. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So I'm inclined to think he would have he would have done the that. Sex. Uh, it would have been funny though if she was like, "Yeah, sure," and he went in there and just like dropped a big fucking stinker in there. And then she said, "Then maybe she like said something like, oh god, like Nick, light a candle or something that set him off.' Sorry, <laughs> uh, pralines and cream. I get the feeling he only eats ice cream, so that might cause some digestive troubles." He's lactose intolerant too. Yeah, I, ice cream all day. I don't see him like going home at night and putting the meatloaf in the oven. Uh, which I would hate to see how meatloaf interacted with rum raisin. If you blocks away at Mary's house, uh, she can hear the distant sounds of the ice cream truck again as she sits on the couch with a mischievous grin slowly developing on her face. Max and his friend are still outside. She walks. She walks out there, says hi to the always gardening, nervously uh, gardening Jessica, and she gives shirtless Max a check for he and Joe's hard work. They stare each other down a bit. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, Yaks. Max is now shirtless, and he, he's done some uh, crunches in his in his lifetime. And fucking Marky Mark. About three thousand a day. <laughs> yeah, they they stare each other down a little bit with Jessica's always the neighbor peering at him out of her peripheral vision. Uh, but that's as far as it goes. She is such a nosy fuck. Max observes. Yeah, Mary sighs. Uh, so that's it. Real quick, I'm entering the final third of the cigar. Are you guys about there? Yes. Oh, Tut, you and I are about identical. Where are you at, Yanks? I I've been nursing it, so I got a little bit, a little bit more. I did have to relight. I think I just to get the burn. I think I was just talking way too much. Uh, Todd, is that boldness still ramping up for you as it settled down a little bit? Uh, yeah, I, I would still say that it's it's still there. The uh, pepper on the nose is still really prominent. The cedar on the palate's really prominent, uh, and it's just as bold as it was, you know, a little while ago. Yeah, the uh, the white pepper sharpness on the nose is picked up. I love that it died down a little bit. Now it's back. Uh, I love that graphite pencil shavings element to to its to the backside of it. Uh, the cedar, I know you didn't get to it, but the floral is still there for me on the thing, along with some of that Nicaraguan mineral. Um, man, it's a really just enjoyable cigar. Yes. Morning coffee or you know a a decent ABV IPA. I this is kind of giving me the impression it could go with man. I could see this going actually really well with some red wine. Mm-hmm. Put a dry Pinot with this. I was about to say dry wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this a lot. Uh, really, really good. Um, okay. Well, that night, Mary's daydreaming on the couch once again while toying with a tennis ball in her hand. Boys, that's called foreshadowing, playing with a ball. When the doorbell rings, man, there's a lot of doorbells in this film. I think this film might set a Guinness World Record for most doorbell rings. (laughs) This film doesn't go five minutes without somebody ringing the doorbell. It's crazy. Uh, It's her dinner being delivered 
uh, by delivery guy. And while far less creepy than the mover guy, the delivery guy also not so subtly eyes Mary up and down uh, as she signs her receipt before he leaves. I want to say this. This is a female writer director. And this film and some other films I've watched over the last year or so by female filmmakers, notably a film Doctor and I both watched, 2020's Lucky. They really capture, some more explicitly than others, what it's like to be an attractive female in society. And they use that perspective to help tell their scary stories. I dig it. And I have to admit, it's a unique viewpoint that I'll never understand and probably wouldn't consider it if they didn't shine a light on it and kind of exploit it, uh, exploit their personal experiences as a woman in a good way, exploit it uh, for the film's benefit. You don't think as a dude, especially a 40-something dude like us, what a cute, attractive teenage girl, 20-something girl, 30-something girl even 40, you know, if you're a good-looking woman, I would never take into account the eyes on me that they get a day and what that does to their their psyche. Because it has to happen. Oh. If you're at Target and you're shopping and a guy walks by and he kind of gives you that thing – you're going to notice it's not something that we would think about, but you're going to be. All right. Uh, hold, hold up. On, to hold pick up, up on that. that. Hold up on that. If you're an attractive person, I mean, if you're a good looking person, dude or girl, you're going to draw the attention of everybody. Brad Pitt walks into the room. Everybody's looking at him. Tom Cruise walks into the room. Everybody's looking at him. But you're telling me that, and I understand that there's a lot of creepy factor out there, but everybody in this field, Uber driver, delivery driver, I mean, it's, are you telling me that every man that looks your way is looking like I am going to physically do violence to you as I have my no, way with you? that's not what the, the food delivery guy does. It's a very subtle just kind of glance up and down, and he's nice, and he's polite, and he leaves. It's not always the mover guy who lingers and makes you feel super uncomfortable. It's like, I'm just buying groceries and I see a guy. I, as an attractive man, I, I feel the eyes. I'm just saying, I'm I just saying we, we sat on a plane with Matthew McConaughey and you could see they every woman like- in my eyes. Looking at Matthew McConaughey. Dude, you can't go, you can't go there. I mean, that's fucking Matthew McConaughey. You can't go there. I'm just saying if you're a very attractive person, you're gonna draw attention. That's what makes you attractive. The interesting point here was Kate is discussing from a woman's standpoint, which we will never understand. The woman in question here, Mary, she's a lovely, this is a, this is a good looking woman. And right? she just ordered food in We're a not pair of. about Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise or Matthew McConaughey. She's a, she's an ordinary... We're talking about an attractive person. No, no, no. And oh, what's the definition of attraction? No, no, we're not. Uh, you're, you're talking about her as if she's Pamela Anderson answering this door with some Daisy Dukes on and a, and a, a bikini top. 
she's just, just saying that she was an attractive woman. She's just an attractive woman wearing a pair of old navy shorts and a, and a and a, a t-shirt. But the fact she still gets looked over. Women, and I'll even no, I'll even, hang on. I'm getting another beer for this monologue. There, it's not it's not about an attractive person. I think it's it is, and I think it's written that way. See, I think I think it's about an attractive woman. And what Kate is saying is that because I, I like when I was younger, I thought, well, attractive women have everything's easy for them. Every guy opens the door for them. Everybody's nice to them. As an older person with more perspective, I can see like it's it's as an attractive woman, there is there almost is with men you don't know and this is what i'm seeing from this movie and the movie lucky cade mentioned that the the female filmmaker is saying and and i'll appreciate it in a way that i'll never understand if you are an attractive woman that there is an underlying air of hostility almost to every sort of altercation interaction whereas you know, it's, it's, not- it's doctor, you, you've nailed it. And it's a viewpoint that as men, we could never inter- inject into a, a, a film or a screenplay because we don't experience it. Tut, when a dude delivered, there is a lot of truth to beauty is a curse. Lord knows I know this. Tut, but when a dude delivers your dominoes to your door and you pick it up, He's not looking you up and down. You don't even look, you don't even give it a second thought. You grab the pizza, say, thanks, dude, and go back inside. But when a chick delivers a pizza to my door, I have to shut the door fast because I don't want anybody getting jealous. Tut's got his Texas State shirt tied up around the midriff, and he's got his Daisy Dukes on, and he's all, oh, thank you. All right, right, hold up. I mean, just, just bear with me on this. There is, in the writing... And a lot of sexual tension in just about every freaking scene. Uh, And we're with with her and Max. I'm going to say with everybody, uh, with with the exception of the neighbors. And, you know, you kind of you. That's the only only other people in the movie. That's the only with the exception of the neighbors that only leaves her and Max. You hit on a little something earlier that when the lawn boy comes over and that's how all milk porn starts. Yeah. Think about all the other situations that are in here with every other male character, the deliver, the food delivery dude, the, the uh, furniture delivery dude, even the ice cream guy, you're all talking porn setups with all three. And then at the end of this movie, there is a twist to it that maybe this was, well, Whatever. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not trying that, but I'm just saying that maybe this is an imagination that's going out, going around, and going out there. I just. I, I think, and I welcome it. I think it's a very unique. Because let's face it, in the history of horror films, the percentage written and directed by females is nil. Yeah. Um. Forever, it was always well. Mary Lambert directed Pet Cemetery. Like that was like you girls, you guys never let girls into the boys' club. That's the one. Club. That's the one. Uh, do you remember Pet Cemetery? <laughs> Which wasn't even a good movie. I don't see why people like that movie. But anyway, 
I, for one, think that it's an incredibly unique and real perspective that a female filmmaker can bring to it that adds a layer of threat perceived or potential or whatever, but it's, it's a perspective that I don't, I don't relate to all jokes aside. And I think it really adds something to this film, but to, to the other film, the, the lucky film, that was kind of the whole Genesis of it. I, man, I think, I mean, let's face it, that first scene with her alone with that mover and the way he was interacting with her, that's something as a male we can't relate to. And yeah, I guess I guess the cool thing to, uh, well, I don't know if it's cool, naive. I mean, hell, you get all this woke culture and you're going to just say that I'm a dumbass about it. I didn't even think about that. I didn't think about any of the gender stuff until you specifically brought it up. I just saw creepy situation i just saw a creepy person lording over some well, that's other fair. person no, that's and fair. i that's fair. i love i love when I, I just love it when it's it's like that where it's like it's kind of like i don't need i don't need damon wayans pointing out say a message every time you know there's a strong female character or no, a, no, no. a menacing I, male character i, never... I love storytelling that's organic and just I never, I never once heard da- uh, Damon Wayans screaming out message in this film. No, I, I never did. I never did. Until you did. No, I screamed out interesting perspective that I have to consider. And that I liked it because it's taking me out of my comfort zone. Yeah. It's showing me something new that I can't relate to. Cade was like, message. Oh, I, I thought Tut was canceling himself. He was scooting out of the frame. <laughs> uh, did you? Man, I go to Texas. I go to Texas State for like two days, and it's did all. You, just, did you realize Tut as you were watching this that it was written directed by a woman? No, not at all. Okay. Okay. I don't know if that makes a difference, but I uh, was curious. And uh, no. Frank, it sounds like Tut's been canceled. We'd better get to McDonald's before they cancel the rib witch. (laughs) See, see, the funny thing is uh, I'm not opposed to watching message pieces and watching, you know, just as like, this is the point of view and then here we go. But I, I also really like the the fact that I didn't know that this was a female director. I didn't know that this was a female story. Well, I, was I just, wonder it's a good story and I was wrapped up in it. I so, wonder so if you message. I, I wonder if you had known if you would have been like we leery of oh actually that's a good point. I don't know. All guys all guys who you interact with are are leering and you know ogling you and I'm glad you didn't know actually because I, I like that you walked into it fresh. I knew, and I I actually appreciated seeing a character, a main character, and putting myself in her shoes, if you will, and yeah. seeing how a, an attractive female, a simple interaction with the delivery guy, how different it is for her than it is for your Domino's guy showing up at your house. Yeah. It's it's different, and yeah, we never, and we never I, get to we never get to see that. 
and I and I guess there's a lot of of good points to that uh, because now that I think about it, when I'm when I'm thinking about, I can't remember the director's name, but the director for uh, Boys in the Hood, and when that John, came out, John Singleton. Yeah, and so when Singleton came out and Boys in the Hood came out, and everybody was like African American director, African American point of view, African American story. Yeah, that was an that was an important voice to be had at that time, and yeah, I, I guess there's point. I guess there's strength and, and good stuff for that. Which I'm probably going to get canceled now for saying I thought Boys in the Hood, in comparison to Menace to Society, played like a lifetime movie. I thought the Hughes brothers did a way better job of portraying that world and delivering a story than Boys in the Hood. But that's just my opinion. Is Minister Society the one with Rappaport, or is that Higher Learning? That's Higher Learning, which was John Singleton, my favorite John Singleton movie. I think yeah, to I really like that back one. of it, uh, there, there's uh, – <laughs> I, I have a sister, okay? So when I was – Yaks, Yaks, say it. We've known him for 35 years. Say it. All right. Wait, you have a family? <laughs> Dude, for years, every time Mincy would or the doctor would bring up his sister, Yaks would be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You have a sister?" Okay, let's go. Let's just pretend it's a metaphor. Then. Okay. <laughs> Assume that I had a sister. Uh, when I was in college, you know, my, my parents would. I, I remember talking about how late at night. Uh, if you were in the library and you had to walk to one of the parking lots, and this was, you know, 25 years ago for crying out loud or close to that, maybe, maybe not quite that long, but anyway, I said it was a long, dark walk. And, you know, one of the things like my parents said was, or my mom specifically, well, I never worried about you. Now it doesn't matter that I'm not a fighting person or anything like that. Uh, or, or violent or a tough guy. I'm just a, I'm a guy who's my physical size is bigger than an average male. I, no, no, I get, I, I get that. No, but I get my that. sister, my mom, walking over the same ground, worried about it because it was like there are things that just aren't going to be a problem for me or aren't even going to be a situation that are going to be a situation for her. And uh, I think. I definitely there's no there's no message there's no hit you over the head with it I think it's very subtle in this film and yeah. I might not have even thought about it Cade mentioned this other film that we'd seen where I I thought about it. I was like yeah they really I use the wrong word they don't really do it there is a subtle element of the film that's showing that uh and and maybe it's in in their mind uh but if if you're an attractive woman and this has happened to you since you were in junior high, that it is in your mind, whether it's real or not, that, that each interaction with an unknown male can be perceived as a threat. It doesn't go message and hit you over the head. Yeah. No. no I, I, yeah. And I mean, and I get what you're saying because the moment that my niece goes to college, she's getting an email of don't walk alone by yourself at night. Don't walk alone by yourself in the day in weird places. Don't accept any drinks from people that you don't know. I mean, she's getting the whole thing. I but mean, but but 
to this film's credit, and then we'll move on. When the delivery guy's looking her up and down, she doesn't notice it. We see it as a viewer. She doesn't. She's looking away, signing the receipt. It's something that we're shown by the female filmmaker just as another layer of like, this is shit we have to deal with another thing on top of whatever, everything else that's going on. This is always there. And she did it in a way that wasn't uh, aggressive or shame on you or that. It was just another element of the film. And I appreciate that. It was just a touch from a, a, a female director that if a dude was directing this, we wouldn't have got that. And I appreciate that. I appreciate new stuff. I appreciate being shown stuff that I don't experience every day. And those little things I noticed and I like it. Uh, that The other film lucky did kind of hit you over the head with it, that because the, the chicks, the, the main girl is a female, nobody believes her. And people are always, you're being too emotional. And it really went heavy handed with, Far less subtle. Far less subtle. Everything you're experiencing is just because you're a woman. You know, are you on your period? That kind of stuff. This film doesn't go anywhere near that kind of stuff. It just, to use the ice cream analogy, sprinkles it in, take it or leave it, or maybe not even notice it. But it's there, and I like it. Um, well, Mary hasn't even opened up her food when the goddamn doorbell rings again. If I'm her, I'm, I'm on, I'm cutting the wires, man. Enough, I can't even take a shit without the damn doorbell ringing. Uh, standing in the doorway, uh, I'm sorry. This time it's Max. He's put his shirt back on. Sorry, Ted. Uh, and he's come home or he's come back because he oh. thought she might be bored and lonely. He says, standing in her doorway, Mary wrestles with it both internally and externally. She's kind of chewing Just another on man trying to take advantage of the woman alone, except this time he's in a Marky Mark body, so it's all right. He's chewing, she's kind of nervously chewing her finger and kind of looking him over. Letting a teenage boy in the house after dark can only lead to bad things. Right, Tut? Yeah, that's how milk porn starts. Max easily senses her indecision and changes course with a smile. He says, actually, you know what? You forgot your bag of weed earlier. Still wrestling, she says, all right, come in. And he comes inside. A lot of the choices and physicalities that actress Deanna Russo uh, uses in this film seem slightly overboard earlier on to me. Her awkwardness and the way she talked to Jessica and and some of the ladies. But as the story moves forward, I actually came to appreciate them. They actually seem like a, a well-developed character with quirks. And as the, as the film moved on, I, I didn't mind him at all. I actually thought, okay, that's who this, that's who this chick is. And like I've said before, creative writers are quirky as fuck. It makes sense. Mary refuses to give underage Max any beer or alcohol. He's like, she invites him in. You want something to drink? Sure. What you got? <laughs> Beer and vodka. Oh wait, I can't give you any of that. You know what? Let's yeah, just. Smoke, let's, you know what? Let's just smoke some weed. That tracks. What the hey, hell? 
Tut, she's from Seattle. You got to factor that in. You're here to sell me drugs, but you can't have any of my booze. He's like, hey, don't tell me you didn't drink in high school. And she's like, CNCC style. No, no. You're here to sell me drugs, but you can't have any of my booze. That dog dog won't hunt, as they say. Well, he said, she says, let's smoke a little weed and then I have to go. Go where? He asks. "Uh, Go be an adult without a teenager in my house. She responds nervously while Max chuckles. She chews on her finger some more while Max lights up a joint. Did y'all notice that you could hear a police siren in the background during this thing? I love the sound design. As she's made this choice to let this teenage boy into her house, in the background, you hear a police siren. It's, it's, it's there, but if you don't pay attention, you don't notice it. It's awesome. When he holds the joint out to her, he grabs her hand and suggests she come sit on the couch closer to him. But she says she's cool in the chair right where she is. For an 18-year-old, Max is playing it remarkably smooth. He's not coming off as desperate or super aggressive, which would certainly turn her off. He starts playing some music on his phone. Mary says the only music she listens to these two is Disney. And then he offers his hand out to her. Come on, Mary, be young. Dance with me. Be young, she says. I didn't mean it like that. You're cooler and hotter than most of the girls my age. <sighs> Am I? You're bad. Come on, Mary. And the next thing you know, they're dancing. Mary says, got it. Mary says he's far too young to know how to ballroom dance. And when he explains that he was raised watching Dancing with the Stars, she immediately snaps out of the moment and back to reality, the reality of the situation. She tells Max, a.k.a. Trouble, it's time for you to go. Goodbye, my friend. Maybe another lifetime. The dialogue here and the interaction here was real as shit. I loved it. It was nothing seemed hokey. Nothing seemed out of out of line. It was it was a really effective scene. With Max gone, Mary heads back into the kitchen to eat when the doorbell rings again. Damn you, doorbell. Sure enough, it's Max again. Uh, we can. Oh, also, if you listen, you can hear the ice cream truck music playing faintly in the background here. He wants to give her his phone number, but she won't take it. So then he wants her phone number, you know, in case she needs yard work done again. Yard work. And when it's clear that he's not leaving until he gets it, she gives in. Dude, she's wearing those bad idea jeans. Or shorty shorts. Incoming college freshman Incoming college freshman dick pics in three, two, one. (laughs) Mary then finally gets a few bites of salad in before the fucking doorbell rings again. It's like the thousand doorbell ring we've had. This time there's no one there at the door. We watch her from the ice cream man's point of view as he stalks her from behind a large tree across the street. The next morning, Mary calls her kiddos. Only one more day to go, she says. She seems happy that they'll finally be arriving tomorrow. Well, the kids, at least. She doesn't really talk much to her husband. Um, Mary then goes to the bathroom and examines herself critically, wearing only her bra and panties. Clearly, Max is comparing her to high school girls as having her question where exactly she's at in life in her 30s from a physical standpoint, which is a natural reaction, I think. That would be hard for her to just dismiss. She looks great, by the way, for those listening 
at home. Like she's a really good looking woman, but not, as I said, Pamela Anderson. She looks like a normal 30 something mom. She's not a bombshell. She, they did a really good job of casting just a, she's, she's very, very cute. She's not some unrealistic porno magazine no. or, but she's a, she is a very attractive woman. Yes. Um, then Mary digs a pair of old cutoff jean shorts out of a box. She's relieved that they still fit. And as a tribute to Mary, I also dug out a pair of my old cutoff jean shorts, which I will now stand up for you, YouTube. No, no, no. no. And reveal to you all. No, no. Kate, Kate, the people can see you. Hey. I can see you, and I don't want I don't hey, want to see this. Hey, Frank. Looks like his life was cut shorter than his jean shorts. Let's hope the line at the Golden Corral buffet is even shorter. Doctor, did I do it okay? It it was up to my standards. Okay. Wait, we have standards? Hey, picture Caruso saying that. While wearing a while wearing a form fitting old navy tank top from 2012 with a hole down near the belly button. Hey, his IMDb page might be collecting dust, but his fork and spoons surely are, surely aren't. <laughs> Boys, I'm at the end of this cigar. It's got about an inch left. Uh, now I know you don't get this note. Uh, you're incapable of percepting it. Yax, did you get a little bit of butter on that retro hail in the last third? I don't get any butter. It's Tut that gets butter. Oh, Tut gets butter. Oh, that's right. Yax, you, you Tut doesn't get cream. He doesn't get cream. Yeah, you don't, don't get, get butter. Cream. Did you get butter, Tut? No, not really. Oh. But I think the beer kind of muscles butter out. There's no way butter could stand up to this beer. A pumpkin beer? No. Yeah, no. But well, on your butter note, I will make any butter. I will say this. Go fuck yourselves. I'm in the movie theater. Final thoughts on the uh, on the cigar. What'd you guys think? It's a I like beautiful it. cigar. I, I actually lit up another one following it up on it because it is that beautiful. It is a, 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 a beautiful, refined smoke. Uh, delicate, elegant, whatever you want to say. I don't think we're too influenced by the fact they hand these out to diplomats. I, I think it's just the, the flavor profile I, from the cedar and the floral, the white pepper never knocking you on your ass, but just always kind of being there with that that nice graphite, the mineral, the, the classic Nicaraguan mineral back in that cedar and the floral. Um for me, the the final third, that little bit of, of butter creeping in for about ten minutes, it's just an elegant. It's just that's a good word. It's an elegant smoke. Well, I, th- I think it fits in with if that's what they're wanting to do is to hand it out to diplomats, to 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 VIPs, things like that. It's not necessarily mild, but even in its strength, it's not strong. It's, it's flavorful. Good. No, it's flavorful. It- it's flavorful. It, it, like we just said, you know, it ramps up in flavor. So you know what? Guy wants to smoke half of it, get that good sort of 
mild to medium before it gets it gets stronger. They can stop. It's it's and I, I love it's such a departure from the 80, 75, 80 percent of what Hoya does, which is Nika Nika strength bombs. Uh, you know, the Antano is the granddaddy of, of Nicaraguan strength, uh, the Dark Rojo strength. Um, I think in the last few years is when they introduced their Connecticut, which kind of leads into this one. Uh, Yak Boy, when we were in Nicaragua, we smoked a lot of the Classico, yeah. which is which is a, a, a very mild uh, Hoya offering. You know, it's a great morning coffee cigar. Um it just showcases they can do anything. I love and the fact that I, I am not a mild cigar lover. I, I don't like mild cigars. This cigar is not mild by any definition. It's got bold flavors, the bold uh, pepper that, that picks up in the nose, you know, around that halfway mark, the bold cedar that washes the palate, the pencil shavings that gives you everything that I want in this cigar in terms of the mineral, a little bit of earth. But the only way that I could even, and, I, and I, I hesitate to even say it, the only thing that I would introduce to this cigar is like maybe a little bit of graham, you know, hide the sweetness a little bit. Everything is beautiful about this cigar. So much to the fact that I will, I don't want to rank it, but I will put it in my top three Connecticut's of all time. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll put it up because I really like Connecticut's that don't, that aren't mild cigars, that aren't the Connecticut profile. So I like, you know, the Southern Draw Rose of Sharon. I like the uh, the uh, Black Works uh, porcelains. Uh, and this is right up there. I'm not going to say which is above and what's not, but and I, I like, I love the fact that it's a beautiful looking Connecticut, but doesn't smoke like a mild Connecticut. Yeah, no, it's, it's the cream of the crop. Uh, it's, it's, it's right up there. Um, as I get older, I've gravitated more towards uh, Connecticut shade wrappers as opposed to my dark, oily Maduro beasts. But uh, man, it's, it, it's one of those rare Connecticut's that gives you the strength while maintaining what you like about a lighter shade wrapper. Uh, yeah, big, big thumbs up for me. And like I said, I could see this going, hell, it went good with these milkshake IPAs, your pumpkin beer. Uh, but it would also, like yeah, I said. Yeah, but you're right, you're right on the money. You put a dry red on this thing and, oh, lights out, lights out. Or a generous pour of Rakia. I think this would go wonderfully with both variations of Yabiga, uh, the uh, the fruity Bella or the the oak aged uh, Perva. Yeah, I can see this going with a ton of stuff. I actually would like to smoke this with the Perva. I'd be curious to see how that goes. Uh, okay, so we like it. I think that's fair to say. Yes. All right. Well. We got a story to finish here, boys. That night, Mary continues her so far fairly innocent slip into a midlife crisis as she blows bubblegum bubbles while flipping through a fashion magazine on the couch in her jean shorts. As a writer, she should be writing, not reading, during this precious kid free free time. Am I right, Yax? Absolutely. But she's Absolutely. just she's just fucking off. 
she gets a text message from Max asking what she's doing, just as we and she, although Mary doesn't acknowledge it anymore, hear the ice cream truck music playing outside once again. It's always there. It's always there. It's always in the background. You, you, you kind of, you let yourself, you become numb to it. You don't even sense it. Max wants to see her before family gets there tomorrow. She responds, no, in all caps, with several exclamation points. He texts that she knows she'll regret it. She continues to push him away until he finally texts for her to meet him in Somerset Park in 30 minutes. To that text message, she does not respond. Instead, smiling as she slides off her wedding ring and proceeds to go to the bathroom and apply some lipstick. And to complete her descent into illicit high school hijinks, she even puts Tracy's hairpin that she found the street in her hair. Oh, boy. She's doing it, isn't she? She's doing it. Yep. Am I the only one who was judging her far more harshly at this point? Because not only was her husband watching the two kids this whole time while she's getting high, drunk, and potentially laid, but one of the kids he's watching is her teenage son from his her first marriage. So he's having to deal with that whole bitter, brooding stepson bullshit 24-7 back in Seattle, which is more than likely a constant, miserable experience while she's doing all this shit. That poor fucker. I actually felt more sorry for him, not that she was cheating on him or about to cheat on him, but that she, he's watching her fucking kid from another marriage while she's doing it. Never I was about to say with Go ahead. I was going to say it never occurred to me because, again, as I mentioned earlier, I wasn't sure that he was still alive. Yeah, you thought he was dead. And also, at this point, as she prepares to head out into the night, this is where the what turned out to be obvious misdirection for me, what I felt like the filmmaker was wanting you to think came full circle which is as she's walking towards the park and the ice cream truck is driving too, that I felt the filmmaker was wanting you to think that she was the ice cream man, that he was, he was never real, that she had actually committed these murders. She had killed Tracy. She had killed Nick and his girlfriend and that she was I about to kill, she was about to kill Max, and that uh, her, her mind had fractured. Dude, the, her, family, her family's dead, and and so the music that she kept hearing when she sees the ice cream man, it's not real. That's in her head, and I felt I felt like that was intended by the filmmaker to make you think that that Mary was somebody who had snapped and had had committed these crimes. I totally now get what you're saying because there was some yeah. shots. There were some unusual shots compared to the rest of the film with, as she's walking down the street, the ice cream man is driving down the street and it's not clear that he's following her. Obviously he's not. She would have noticed. So they're kind of in sync as she marches towards the park. He's driving towards the park. That totally makes sense. What you just said, doctor, to 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 but dude that is masterful fucking filmmaking to plant that seed in your head i never got that but i totally get it now i got i got to give him props for that because that's what i i thought that's where they were going 
Well, I, I was sim, I was very, very similar where I was thinking where this film was going to what Mincy was saying, but I'll save it for a little bit later. Okay. Um, as Mary walks down the darkened streets towards Somerset Park, the ice cream truck pulls over in front of an arms crossed, patiently waiting and horny Max. Just as the ice cream man steps out of his truck, Mary arrives smiling sheepishly at her gentleman caller. Gentle boy caller, maybe, I guess. He's not a Gentle man. Gentle boy caller. He's not a man. He's not a man yet. Despite those rippling abs. Despite well, the despite all the talk, rippling abs, no. Despite all the talk of predatory behavior, I've seen only one predator in this film. Max? No. Mary? What's her name? Well, he is 18. He's a college kid now. It's not exactly... Come on, man. That's... People have been He's locked a young up man. His hormones don't allow him to think or act rationally. Well, she hello? is a fully developed human being. She is the predator. Well, hello there, the ice cream man says. Would the two of you like something this fine evening? At first, Mary de- I would. At first, Mary declines with a no thanks. But when the ice cream man offers to make her a shake, you know, a milkshake like Yak Boy and I's perfectly selected beer selection, she gives in. He says she looks like a vanilla kind of gal. But tonight, he thinks she might be craving something a little more decadent. Am I wrong, he asks. Vanilla's fine, thank you, she says, growing annoyed. Okay, super. Which, even for the psychotic madman, he has to be even more super pissed off here. He's already going to kill him. Am I the only one who feels like a major asshole when I go into an ice cream parlor and order a milkshake? It's like, especially when there's like a line growing and I'm like, Hey, instead of just scooping some shit into a cup, could you go over there for 10 minutes and make me a milkshake? It's on the menu, sir. I know, but dude, I always feel like such a dick ordering. I'm a milkshake guy. I don't like ice cream. I like milkshakes. I always feel like a huge, giant asshole ordering milkshakes. Um, I can't help it. The heart wants what the heart wants. Am I right, doctor? You are correct, sir. Speaking of the heart, Max's heart on clearly wants Mary as he tells her she looks really good tonight as the ice cream man climbs in the back of the truck to make her goddamn vanilla milkshake. Hey, he's a pro, though. He doesn't show her that when she says milkshake, he's like, oh, Jesus. He's a pro. When uh when uh Max tells her how good she looks, she shushes him playfully and rolls her eyes. When the ice cream man hops out and hands Mary her precious shake, he says, You kids be good now, you hear? And he drives off. Max leads Mary to the playground where he lights up a joint as they stand together closely up in the jungle gym. Whatever reservations reservations she had that were holding her back the night before are clearly gone now. She's all in. And a few moments later, Max tosses her pain-the-ass milkshake aside, and he's all in. As in, he's all in Mary. Catch my drift? Yeah. They're 
They're doing it. They're, they're, they're doing it. We, we, we get it. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, I did get a kick out of the subtitles here early on. As they passionately tongue wrestled, the subtitle read smooching. <laughs> like the person, if they can read subtitles, they can look on the screen. They, it's not smooching. <laughs> they are tongue wrestling. Bravo, subtitle guy on this. Uh, she reaches down and caresses Max's rock-hard abs. Hands up where I can see him, boys. No funny business. Come on, let me see him. Let me see him. Things are oh, about to get... rock-hard abs? Doctor, that's just one hand. <laughs> For Max pulls down his jeans and begins thrusting into her for about an entire 45 seconds or so. Before it's all over, Tut style. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't know why that was. In, I'm sorry, Tut. I don't know why that was in my notes. Uh, it's over. Max slumps <laughs> over the side. Man, <laughs> tells her that was awesome. Yeah, for for him, I'm sure it was. Can you imagine like gambling your marriage and your new life in this new city and new neighborhood on 45 seconds of that? Now I know this director really does hate men. <laughs> no, I think she understands 18-year-old men. <laughs> this 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 scene screams of realism. Uh, he tells her re- to relax. Oh, wait. So as he climbs off her uh, and they're getting dressed, Mary hears a noise nearby. Max tells her, relax, it's probably just a squirrel or something. How many movies that we've done in 156 episodes have horny couples in the woods heard a noise? They always blame it on a squirrel. A squirrel. These are people that have never been in the woods. So if I hear a noise, just the last once. thing I'm thinking of isn't a squirrel. Just it's once, a, I, just once I'd like to hear Where's the chipmunk love? Just once I'd like to hear a guy say, it's probably just a chipmunk. Well... I mean, I don't, I don't know where they are located per se, whether or not they have chipmunks there. They are regional. We saw chipmunks in Pennsylvania. Yes, yes, we did. That's true. We saw lots of them. Uh, come on, chip. screenwriters, blame it on something else for once. Give the squirrels a break. Mary tells Max they can never do this again. Why not? Well, because you lasted only 45 seconds. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> That's what she wants to say. Because I'm old enough to be your mother and I'm married, she says sadly, with the cold reality of the situation settling in on her like a brick to the fucking face. You are so sexy, Max whispers as he strokes her leg. I'm if sorry, I, Mary. You and your stamina is lacking. If I were 18, she says, but I'm not. Life's complicated, she tells him. I wonder if she would have had a different post-coitus reaction if he had lasted longer than a Burger King commercial. Probably yes. Oh, doctor. Hey, Frank. Frank? Somebody making a Burger King run? Now that's a whopper of an idea. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and now we got Burger King suing us. Damn it. 
Mask, Max asks if he can still see her again once her family's here. And Mary says that's probably not a good idea. She rests her head on his shoulder and tells him that she's sorry. Mask, Max asks if she's okay. You made me feel young again, Mary says. I'm sorry. This whole sex scene, this whole dialogue after the sex scene. It's terrible. No, it's A+. plus. It's realistic. No, it's terrible. Oh, you're out of your fucking mind. I, I obviously am, but it's also terrible. She I'm says, sorry. Just, she, says the things, she says the things that she would say in that moment. I Honestly, the only thing I can... I, it's hard to believe a horn dog 18 year old would be this understanding and correct articulate. That's absolute crap. He's, he's a little far fetched as far as just how his reaction to all this. Yeah. He's way too smooth for an 18 year old, way too mature for an 18. year old. So it makes me think perhaps he had something to do with Jessica. Now she's jealous. Oh, like he was banging Jessica. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Wheels upon wheels, my friend. See, in the milk porn, he'd be doing Mary, and then Jessica would be walking nearby and hear their moaning and come to investigate. Point in. That would lead to some other things. Doctor, there's got to be a Caruso tie into that situation. Well, Frank. Jessica stumbled upon Max and Mary. It's time for some Neapolitan ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) It works. It fucking works. (laughs) Oh, I get it. Neapolitan. Three flavors. Three flavors. Stay with, stick with me, babe. Oh. Suddenly, their conversation is cut short when the ice cream man steps up onto the jungle gym holding a very large knife. Oh, shit. Max orders Mary to run away as far as she can while he draws the ice cream man in a different direction. But when Max starts climbing the playground's rock wall and gets to the top, the killer is waiting for him. Like a cherry, one might say. All right, first of all, the dude has the body of like a NFL cornerback, and yet when he jumps off this thing, he jumps off the thing like I would, starts climbing up the jungle gym like I would, like no athletic ability whatsoever. It is the most just over the top. Well, hey, sometimes guys, thing. sometimes sometimes dudes work out for hard abs and and packs. They don't do any cardio. They don't do any cardio or any kind of conditioning it's all for looks so despite despite the fact and we're it's not a spoiler because we're about to wrap it up here but despite the fact that i didn't know what was going to happen am i the only one who who realized this probably wasn't really happening oh i thought it was happening at this point no okay i i you you thought this was or was not happening i thought Everything I've I've seen up to this point is happening. Okay, see, at this point, I was pretty well convinced this was not happening. But you already had that 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 germ in your brain that she was 
not who she seems to be. So that kind of poisons everything that comes I, after that. I, I still kind yes. of thought that she was the that there was no ice cream man and she might be killing him. But see, I, it, see, it when, not, when, what was happening on screen was not playing out. I was convinced of that. Yeah, once you get that seed though that she's behind all this, then that's going to influence how you see the rest of the film. Right. Dude, I like Doc. I like Doc's story. Doc's story is dark, and I like it. Well, no, but also Doc's story is one we've seen before, where a character in the film is actually the killer the whole time, and you just never realized it. It was going to be like oh, a high, I haven't seen that. high tension kind of thing, almost. Yeah, it's almost it's a very high tension thing, and there's there's a lot of those where at the end you realize someone you've been rooting for the whole time has actually been doing it. That's been done before. What's going to happen here? That's why I appreciate it as being different. We'll get to that. So when uh, when Max clumsily gets to the top of the, the rock wall in the playground, the ice cream man stabs the teenager hard right in the hand, buries his knife in the hand, and then right in the chest. On the bright side, it looks like there's a uh, new opening for a, a freshman at, tech, at the uh, state college now, right? That's a, that's a positive to focus on. Now, with his white apron covered in Max's bright red blood, the ice cream man is in hot pursuit of Mary. 156 episodes. I've, I've got hot pursuit in there, damn it. They may hold the Guinness Book World Records for doorbell rings. I've got it for hot pursuit mentions. Uh, she sprints away from Somerset Park and inexplicably, for now, decides to hide inside the parked ice cream truck rather than continue running to a nearby house for help. That's the exact type of audience frustrating, tension-building decision-making that we only see in horror movies or read about in paper book thrillers, right? That makes no sense other than in a movie or in a book. I I, See, I don't think it's tension-building at all. I think it's almost like so frustrating to the point where you check out. But remember that that's if you think as I did, which is that she's the ice cream man. No, yeah, for, for yeah. doc for doctor, it makes perfect it sense. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. That's where the big reveal is going to happen. That she is the ice cream man. For doctors in his head, that makes perfect sense. Most cheesy B horror movies, that's what the chick would do, and you oh, would I understand that. And if, you would and yell, you, and you would yell at the screen. Why didn't you just keep running to a house? But, if you're making a cheesy B-grade horror movie, then yes, that is what the chick would do. But, I didn't think that I was watching a cheesy B-horror movie. But keep this scene in mind later when we find out what's really going on. It's important. The ice cream man soon returns to the truck. And while he's washing the blood off his hands in the sink, Mary pounces him, screaming, Fucker! And stabs the ice cream man in the chest with one of his sharp tools, what was that thing? The axe? Was that what he opens up his scoop. ice gallons with? No, no, yeah. that, wasn't, that wasn't a scoop. It was like a long, sharp thing. No, it was just like a, it, it was part, I believe, of the milkshake machine. The milkshake machine no, no, that no. she drills in? That's later. That's next. No, no, I, but I, like the old school milkshake machines. Oh, what she oh holds yeah. up, it's, the, it's the old school ice cream maker, the one you yeah. drop in the rocks. Oh, uh, okay. Well, she stabs him with that. I didn't catch that until you just said old school, yeah. Wounded on the floor of his truck, covered his own blood for once, he looks up at Mary and calls her a whore, which causes her to grab the detested milkshake machine, the actual machine, 
off the counter and turn it on and drill its splitting its spinning blade straight through his forehead. That has to be the most ironic bitter death for an ice cream worker. <laughs> I spend my whole life begrudgingly oh, the irony. making milkshakes, and this chick kills me with my milkshake maker. Doctor, in your medical opinion, do you think he'll be serving up scoops of rum raisin anytime soon? I'm afraid it's far too early to tell. Is it? My God, every fiber of his ice cream making being must be on fire with pain. It's got to hurt. I'm afraid he's made his last rum raisin. I think you're right, Doctor. Who would know better than you? Good call. Mary stumbles. Uh, I do want to. I do want to to pause a little bit because I just read the the words on the back of the the Hoya wrapper. It said Numero Uno was originally blended for world leaders and top-ranked government officials. Enjoy this diplomatic privilege. I like that. I thought that was pretty cool. I did enjoy that diplomatic privilege. Diplomatic, diplomatic immunity. immunity. <laughs> All of a sudden, uh, Juan Martinez bursts through the wall. Just been revoked. Takes a cigar out of my hand. <laughs> well, Mary stumbles out of the ice cream truck and walks slow, covered in blood, and walks slowly away from it as the truck's ice cream music uh, becomes more and more distorted, and we fade to black. Boom! We fade to a, we fade to a freebie commercial right here. Oh, do you watch on uh, Amazon with the freebie commercials? Yeah, I, I did Tubi. Uh, I couldn't find a place where we could watch this without commercials. They did, I'm used to them. Uh, you you could rent it. Like if you went into the more options, they allowed you to rent it. Uh, oh, did they? Yeah, it was like two ninety nine. But I was like, it's been so long since I've watched one with the commercials. Let's go ahead and see what it does. Yeah, it didn't bother me at all. But I watch a lot of 2B stuff with commercials. So, Well, boom, sunlight. It's now the next day. And Mary's family pulls into the driveway in their airport Uber SUV. Mary's waiting on the porch for them in a sundress with a content expression of both peace and excitement on her face. She gives her older son, Jacob, a giant hug before twirling around her little girl, Shelby. The last embrace is saved for her husband, Steve. Neighbor Jessica looks on with a smile, totally void of any of the overly exaggerated nervousness and over-the-top nosiness we've seen from her constantly uh, exhibit thus far in the movie. Jessica seems downright normal in the scene. Jessica says it's nice to meet them all. She was wondering how Mary was occupying her time all alone in there. That's important to remember. Oh, you know, Mary says with a smile, you can always find ways to entertain yourself. Again, important to remember. The kiddos run inside to check out the swimming pool and Mary hugs Steve again, telling him that she really missed him as he did her. Just then a very much alive and smiling Max and Tracy walk hand in hand down the sidewalk and Max says hello, welcoming Steve to the neighborhood. Steve asks who that is, and she explains it's the boy whose graduation party she went to the other night. Once inside, Steve notices a cut on Mary's hand from doing yard work, 
and he tells her she should really hire somebody to do that kind of stuff for them. She knows, but she explains she had a ton of free time this last week. As they exit the frame to go join Jacob and Shelby in the pool, we see the creepy mover guy from the beginning of the film out the window standing stoically on the sidewalk in front of the house, staring a hole through it. He takes one last puff on his cigarette, puts it out with his boot, cut to black, the end. All right, tell us what happened. So Mary... Okay, went- wait, 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 hang on, hang on. Okay, so the way I was interpreting this when I got to this point, it's like, oh, she's a writer. This is the story she's concocted. But I couldn't reconcile that with the creepy moving guy at the end. Okay, here it is. So Mary went to the graduation party, got high and drunk, and then inspired by everything that occurred up to that point upon arriving at their new home, she spent the remaining time alone. As Jessica said, what were you doing in there all those days all by yourself? Concocting the story that we just watched in her head. So nothing, this is the easiest explanation and it makes sense. Nothing in the movie, she actually, and for all we know, we don't even know if she smokes the joint and drinks the beer. We don't don't even know that, right? She she goes to this party, but anything that happens after that, the murders, all of that doesn't happen. She writes that. Here's my theory, doctor. Okay. In, In hindsight. After watching it twice. When Mary's husband asks her early on in a phone call how her writing's going, she sighs, explaining that she's had some great starts, but things fizzle out. Next thing that happens is the doorbell rings and it's the creepy mover guy. That's her next and newest spark of creative inspiration, a massive spark at that. And not only does it not fizzle out, but it leads her to develop the entire rest of this crazy story in her mind from that encounter. Remember, she also sees the ice cream truck drive by just as the mover was packing up his truck to leave. She uses her fear of being alone in an empty house with that intimidating weirdo, adds in the ice cream man, sprinkles in her natural trepidations and fears that any grown adult has moving back to their little small town after life in a big city, and her imagination goes fucking nuts running with all of it. That's how fiction writers write. And that's why we see the mover again at the end of the film to create a nice bookend for us. It's not that he's actually there. It's a bookend. It's like a David Lynch film, only far less esoteric and far more approachable. Lynch would never give us say in Mulholland drive, a little bookend to help us make sense of things. He's above that, but I'm super grateful that Megan Friels Johnson did. Even if it ultimately ended up with, not helping Tut understand things that encounter with the mover was the, the, the spark that lit the dynamite creatively of her entire story that she concocted in her head. And as, as a writer, as someone, that's all it takes is you hearing a guy say something in line at a seven 11, or you having a guy come out to fix your air conditioner. Who's a character and your mind just starts spinning shit off of that. That's what she did. She pulled from that mover at the beginning. Then that, the weird ice cream man, the old truck. She exaggerated her neighbor, Jessica, who was actually very normal, but she blew her up into this, this caricature, the Stepford wife. 
And she just concocted this great fictional story in her head as a writer. And we got to see it before it hit the page. I loved it. I understand that. I don't like it. I don't like that that's the payoff at oh, all. I, like, I liked it a lot. I don't. I was expecting that when her husband showed up, it was going to be the ice cream man. She used him as the, as, that was the. Oh, see, that's another great thing that you cooked up in your head. That's that, awesome. Because everybody, nobody saw him. They, you heard his voice, but nobody saw him. And I thought like that was going to be the thing. Like, you know, the next day family shows up and. Hey, she loves her kids, but there's some tension between her and her husband. And it turns out the dude playing the ice cream man plays her husband. And she, she, she cast her husband as the villain. That's, that's right. That's awesome. That's what I thought. That's what I was thinking. I got to back you up because you said I I, I was with Tud on, on this part. While I don't like that that's the payoff, I understand it. As soon, as soon as we see Max and Tracy again and you realize that nothing, at least prior to Tracy's death in the film, nothing happened in reality. I understood that. But then you see the delivery man there looking. It was, it was, just, it was just to help people like Tut understand that's but what started. Tut, Tut and I don't understand. So what you're saying is, what you're saying is that when the, when you see the delivery man there at the end, I understand. I'm like, okay, this was all in her head. She was she was writing this. She's a fiction writer. She wrote all of this from some point. He's not really point. he's not really there. He's just another imaginary thing that we're seeing to to help us realize he started it. It's over now. That doesn't make sense well, to me. Well, uh, to me, uh, to hear Kate explain it, yeah, I get it. It's it's a writer, and that's almost like an inside nod to other writers that other writers will pick up on. And no, 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 no. I'm not that big of a Mar- writer. So no, no, no. no. Mary, Mary didn't put that mover out on the sidewalk. Megan Friel's whatever her name is the director. Yeah, that's, yeah, the yeah that's, what that's what I'm saying. That's what and I'm I saying. Pre- and I appreciate it's a nod to other. It's a nod to other writers, but I don't think it's a nod to other writers. As a writer, I didn't need to see her. I thought it was a nod to the the casual to be horror film watcher to kind of just say, remember he's. Yeah, that was a that was a that was a miss nod because okay. I was like, what the fuck? Okay, like like the like the moment the moment. Well, I certainly don't. Th- I up. certainly don't think the weight of the film dies or lives on that shot of the mover at the end. No, I, I mean like it's a pretty the, big effect. It basically that was that was the moment when I was like, "Dude, you're going to have to explain this to me at the end because if you would have left that out, I would have understood everything was a story in her head." The moment I had, because I when the teenager showed up, I actually had to back it up to make sure that he didn't have a knife wound in his hand. And then when I did, I was like, okay, this is all, she's a writer. This is what she was doing. And then that dude pops back up, and I was like, wait, what? But I didn't, I didn't at mind the end the, of the day, this At the end of the day, this is just basically another story about it's just it's just bucking moral traditionalism and not wanting to deal with any of that. 
I mean, the ice cream guy personifies traditionalism. He was killing anybody that was fornicating. He was coming after her for going after the kid. I mean, he summed it up when he called her a whore. And so she was killing moral traditional values. I, I understand it. It's it's basically the fantasy of bucking society. That's fine. Well, it's 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 the essential uh, plot line of every slasher film from the eighties. Yeah, yeah, for- I understand. You, for, you fornicate, you die. Yeah, I get um, it. Only I, I think this guy was a little more loose with his kills. I mean, he he never saw poor Tracy doing anything uh, illicit. I mean, he just killed her for one of Nestle's Crunch Bar. I got to ask you: Was this is this solely your theory or did you read anything online afterward that really- no, no, this is what I cooked up in my head. Okay. So you didn't, you didn't read anything that reinforced the idea of the guy, the delivery man out there at the end. No, I just, I just saw him as she's now starting her new life with this, going to write this new story. He started it and he's just, basically a ghost out there just telling us as viewers, as he stomps out a cigarette, the end. And he's not really there. And I, I, yeah, I, I thought it was a nice, I thought it was a nice touch. Makes sense to me after you describe it. Uh, Gotta tell you this, this would have, this would have, I enjoyed the way it was made. I enjoyed the tone imitations the sincerest form of flattery so all of the music the carpenter-esque elements the everything you talked about sound design cinematography all of that so it's a well-made enjoyable movie that payoff fucking pisses me off <laughs> I, think I do, it would I do like i, I said in movie i do hate movies well, that well, dude, back it up and it's like oh it was all imagined no but dude i that's what i hate about high tension it was a phenomenal slasher film it could have been a classic slasher film until you learn the twist at the end this twist didn't bother me at all i thought it was fresh and inventive and to your points doctor as far as the technical aspects film let me just say this my opinion, LaRue said. my opinion, but dude, I totally see that though with where the doctor's head was at thinking that she was behind all this with Yad boy thinking that her husband might actually be the ice cream man personified. I love those. Well, I think I love those I, crazy I that twist and it would encapsulate the whole <laughs> imaginative world. When's the last time we did a film where two out of four of us cooked up completely awesome alternate storylines that, that, that didn't come true. That's great. Well, and I, and like I said, it just, I think if, if the husband (laughs) turned out when she opens, she goes outside to greet the, the family coming up and the husband is the ice cream man. And then you see the mover at the end. You're like, what? I mean, it really encapsulates this. What the fuck is going on? It's chaos. Cats and dogs laying down together. It'd, it'd be even creepier if her husband was the mover guy. Great movie <laughs> for 86 minutes, last minute. Okay. Wait, her husband is the mover. Her son is the ice cream man. Where does it stop? No, her son's Max. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Where is this? We can't go on anymore. <laughs> 
I think doctor, we've crossed doctor, the line. There's, doctor, there's got to be a Caruso tie into that. <laughs> now, you know what? Where's son, son is Caruso. We're done, we're done with Caruso. Here's what you've wanted all night, all of you. Run up that hill, got a deal from God. Do, do, do. I asked, do, I, do, do. I asked, I asked, I asked, can't hurt you no more. <laughs> I asked, doctor, I'm like, hey, it did great thing for great stuff for Stranger Things. If at any point the show goes off the rails or you disagree, just start singing Kate Bush's Run Up That Hill. Maybe maybe we'll get some traction off of it. <laughs> it, it didn't go off the rails until now. <sighs> well, let me say this. Oh, doctor, you have something to say? No. No. Okay. <laughs> this is my opinion, my opinion. I haven't seen doctor crack up like that. <laughs> <laughs> doctor, can we get a little more running up that hill? Just, no, 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 no. Please continue. Yeah. Uh, this is this is my final thoughts of mine alone. With its fantastic and classically executed cinematography, as the doctor mentioned, excellent and constantly engaging musical score and sound design, highly believable dialogue and characters throughout, and its unique storyline, Ice Cream Truck, is easily one of my favorite horror films of the last five or 10 years, if not more. There's just a freshness to it that I immediately fell in love with. And it's a really cool cinematic take on what goes on in the creative mind of a fiction writer, whether it be screenwriting or novels, especially on subsequent viewings. The second viewing, I really got a lot more of that. You can really see that aspect of it playing out expertly within the context of the imaginary world and Mary's mind that is the bulk of the movie. Notice once at a certain point early on, she's no longer a writer as things begin to flow. She'll give that character of Mary another occupation. She, you know, that she'll figure that out later. She's not worried about writing any articles. She's not worrying around the book. She'll give that Mary something else to do. Um, she makes the heroine hide in the villain's lair, the ice cream truck, which we see in all sorts of horror movies. Mary yelling fucker and stabbing the chest, doing her best Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, Laurie Strode moment, which Mary will work into the book somehow. Uh, the bad guy in the climactic Valley scene, Mary, she's cooking up a crowd pleaser here using all these things that she saw within her first 48 hours or 24 hours of arriving back home. Yada, yada, yada. Simply put, I fucking love this movie. I dug it to hell. It's great. I feel gypped by the ending. If the mover, wasn't, if the mover it, wasn't there, you'd be okay with it? Uh, the mover being there was just confusing. The fact that it's, it's a wipeout of everything that happened before it, I still feel gypped by that. Okay. Yeah, it had me guessing. I, I, I liked it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, when you wipe out everything like that, uh, it's uh, it, it was okay. it was a well-made movie. It was an enjoyable flick, I got But give I will it. say this, it was yeah, it was very but it, doctor, was but doctor. it was an interesting movie. So, I mean, yeah, it wasn't boring. It was very interesting. The cast was great. The, the actors did such a good job. The director did a good job. 
the cinematographer did a good job. The audio people did a good job. I loved the film. And the most thing that I could say about it the most is that I enjoyed the fact when I was watching the ice cream guy, I was imagining Mincy <laughs> over there delivering all those lines. And well, there so you I go. was like, I was like, this is great. Because well, we all we, I want to see Mincy in a full length feature. And I was like, I don't know if I'll ever get that, but if I don't, I got this, which is, you know, it's fake Mincy, but it's still pretty cool. We all got something out of it, even if it's just picturing the doctor's gorgeous face on top of the ice cream man's visage. I was like, I just want to go to Hollywood, bust open whatever fancy restaurant and just be just handing out Mincy headshots. Look at this fucker. Look at this guy. Doctor, doctor, that's that's high praise. Doctor, were you pissed off at the end of Sixth Sense when it was revealed that Bruce Willis was dead the whole time? No. I never liked Sixth Sense to begin with. But, but, all, you, that shit ha- but all that shit happened. All the not stuff only with that, Bruce, I, Bruce Willis uh, that happened. It didn't get erased. No, I don't, well, this is a total... I shouldn't even mention this. We're still on the air. There, there was a... Uh, relationship going on at the time that I was seeing the sixth sense. I was more interested in what was going to happen afterwards than what was going on during the movie. <laughs> so that was kind of like, you know, Oh, he was dead. All right. We're going back to your place or what? Uh, I mean, let's just, okay. Uh, Under, understood. Understood. Uh, actually, that's not true. I made that whole thing up. Uh, uh, well, and obviously the sixth. And now sense- I feel chipped from your story because it, you just erased everything that happened. Yeah. See, Todd, see what happened there? I just, Doctor, I, yeah, I, 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 created, I created a narrative, you were into it, and then I tell you that never happened. Doctor, did you perform any yard work? <laughs> oh, he was trimming some bushes. <laughs> Not, Todd, you're getting into it now. <sighs> Doctor, I, save yourself with some Caruso. You can do it. Pull it out. Uh, I'm going to have to because I'm going to, there's so many lawsuits. <laughs> it's past my bedtime <laughs> to, to the well one too many times we don't often see a speechless doctor i think that's our sign um folks thank you for joining us here in the tuesday Night cigar club uh we love uh our march to halloween and i think we got some really good discussion out of this film and i think it's one of those films that even if you stuck around and listened to us tell you the whole thing more than any other film. You're going to want to go back and watch it for yourself. See if you agree with the doctor that you kind of saw her being the killer the whole time. Agree with the ax that she put her husband's face on the, the poor ice cream man. Uh, or like tell you, you didn't know what the fuck was going on. Well, Frank, uh, there's no looking back. we can go back to Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. He looks like he likes some Dunkin' Donuts. Or maybe not. I don't know. It's not my my place to say what David Caruso's eating or doing. Uh... We are pro David Caruso. Actually, well, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Him, but... I've, I've actually only seen him in Hudson Hawk and Kids of Death, and I liked him in both those. So I'm going to go thumbs up, David Caruso. Yeah, 
There we go. Thumbs down, National Enquirer. Thumbs up, Numero Uno Cigar. Take your hey, word. you know what? Thumbs up-ish for the milkshake IPA. It was okay. I liked it. It actually tasted a lot like just a generic IPA. Uh, I'm not going to lie. This is way better than the diesel stout that I had many episodes ago. Diesel stout was good. It was just way too sweet. It didn't fit with the cigar. This blended well with the numero uno. There you go. Uh, and tell surprisingly, your pumpkin stout played nice. Or is it a pumpkin yeah, stout? Yeah, I like no, it didn't play nice. I like the pumpkin stout. It's not necessarily a cigar-friendly beer. If you're smoking with it, you need to give your cigar some space. It's workable, but it's not a great pairing. It, but it is a good beer. Okay. All right. Uh, well, we will be back uh, once, maybe twice. I, I'd like to do two more uh, shows before we get to Halloween. Uh, this is our sweet spot. Love the horror movies, and uh, I think I think I made the right choice tonight. I think we had some great conversation. I think it's Absolutely. an awesome opener. It's an awesome opener. This is I, great. It had questions. It I can't say I had answers. It had questions, and <laughs> I you know I worked so hard curating these films, especially March to Halloween. I watched so especially when I was sick with COVID. I was watching like five, six horror movies a day. Uh, stuck on the couch, but I always knew that this one, not only did I want to watch it again, but I wanted to watch again and talk about it. Uh, kind of like the convenience store guy and family guy. We've got to talk about ice cream truck. And I, I, why talk about it with you guys for free when we could turn on the cameras and make a show out of it. So uh, thank you boys for indulging me. I think, I think none of us regret watching it, which, that's all we can ask for. Uh, time is precious. This wasn't wasted time. Uh, ice cream truck rocks. I'm really curious to see what the director writer does moving forward. I am too. I am too. Even with I, my criticism, I'm, I'm ready to see more of her. I'm. She, she did such a leap ahead from that 2014 film Rebound to 2017 Ice Cream Truck. I'm really, really excited to see... Uh, you know, and I don't. Even, I, the normal thing to say is, given a budget, I'd like to see what she does. She can do a lot with whatever yeah. the fuck this thing cost. Um, but yeah. Um, so thanks for joining us. We will see you again in a few weeks. Um, I don't think I'm forgetting anything other than may the wings of liberty never, ever, ever, ever lose a feather. Thank God it's not fucking 110 degrees in Central Texas anymore. We can maybe start feeling a little bit in the Halloween spirit. Thanks for joining us. Keep on joining us. Subscribe. Tut, give us some links. Oh, crap. I don't think I've done this in a while. So you can join us at uh, Facebook, Tuesday Night Cigar Club. You can hit us up on Twitter, at TNCCCast. You can join us on Instagram, see all the cool stories, all the cool photos. That's at TNCC underscore podcast. And then definitely you want to subscribe to YouTube so you can see all of our beautiful faces, all of our ugly faces, all of our cool faces. There's no ugly face in between. And 
for the love of God, you're going to want to see Mincy do all of the stuff tonight with the cut with glasses and with all the little bam, 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 bam. So you need to subscribe to the YouTube at TuesdayNightCigarClub.com. Until it gets removed by a judge's injunction. (laughs) (laughs) Doctor, is there any way you can work Wings of Liberty Never Lose a Feather into a Caruso? Oh, God damn it. I'll try. Okay, Uh, here we go. Boys, give it up. Frank, remember, let the Wings of Liberty Never Lose a Feather. And now let's go get some Buffalo Wild Wings. Well, Frank, looks like this podcast is officially dead and buried. But my appetite sure isn't. Let's go to Applebee's. Yeah! No, no, wait. Okay, I can do better. Well, Frank, looks like the boys are marching to Halloween. Now I say we march our fat asses over to the Olive Garden for never-ending breadsticks. Yeah! Sorry, folks, those four shit-faced sons of bitches were just having so much fun that I just had to get a few in there. Oh, yeah, to learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, please visit HoyaCigars.com. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'BrienSimple.com and download their free smartphone app where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.FritzBeerMusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky. And for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well.